Are we live? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Rich Roll, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, buddy? Good, man. Good to see you. What's cracking? Happy to be here, man. Drinking for green me juice. In I know. Honor of you. I hope that's in my honor. Sort of. I drink it every day, but I appreciate that. It helps. Uh-huh. <laughs> good. Where'd, was, you, where'd you pick that up? Juicy Lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where that is? I do. I go there all the time. I love that place. Yeah, me too. I wish they changed the name of it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> Juicy Ladies. I don't know. Why? It's, it's, I think it's, a lady owns it. Yeah, no, she's cool, actually. I like Maybe her. Maybe she's she, juicy. Yeah, the food there is pretty good. It's a little sexual. Yeah. The name, Are you, right? Uh, yeah, is it an assault to your masculinity? No. No, I'm cool with it, but some weaker men might have an issue. Yeah, you have to be self-assured. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be strong enough to go in there and order uh, vegan food. They do, but they make a good green juice. Yeah, they make a lot of good stuff there. It's a good yeah. spot. Well, there's more and more of those places that are opening up. It's you true. McDonald's is going to offer a kale shake? No way. Yes. I have not heard that. Yes. The yeah. world's changing. The, well, Something's working. People are getting nutrients in their body. It's Starbucks crazy. Yeah. Starbucks has them now. Starbucks has what? Kale shakes. Get the fuck Do out they? of here. Do they? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Evo green things and mix it up with uh, yogurt and fresh kale if you want it to. But why would they put yogurt in it? I don't know. Because it's McDonald's. Smoothie. It makes it a smoothie. Oh, Starbucks. But Starbucks. Yeah, oh, yeah. It makes it a smoothie. Well, you know, the market, uh, you know, the market will dictate it if people want it. You yeah. Know? It's sort of like when you talk about conspiracy theories with evil corporations. It's like they're responding to what people want. You know, that people, is true. People want it. They're going to start making it. That's the whole conspiracy with like really shitty television shows, too. Like people are like, man, they're trying to make us dumb. Nope. We're already dumb. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, you, all you have to do is look at the ratings and see what people are actually watching. And they're responding to that. Well, people are tired. They get home from work. They're exhausted. They don't want to watch Cosmos or some of them do. I do. But some people yeah. just want to they just want to zone out and watch Honey Boo Boo or I don't think that's on anymore. Right. Is that not on anymore. There's always a new one. But we, yeah. we uh we got rid of our TVs. What? Yeah, like Who uh, are you? Like a year ago. What? Believe me, I did not want to do it. <laughs> it was not my idea. <laughs> I was uh I was quite vociferous in opposing that idea. That was my wife's idea. But actually wow. it's just like anything else. You adjust to it. I mean, mm-hmm. I still watch Netflix and I watch the shows I like to watch, and now I don't I don't miss it. And I have total like when I, I I've been traveling a lot. I mean and, you know, when you're in hotel rooms, you turn the TV on. And I have a zero tolerance policy for commercials now. Like, I just I know, can't right? even. I'm like, really? You know, and I just turn the TV off and go back online. Yeah, commercials are fucking brutal. Whoever invented the idea of stopping a show every 15 minutes for three minutes or whatever the hell it is for commercials, that's awful. Well, it's crazy how you acclimate to that because as a kid, you know, think about how many hours of your life. You know, we're just basically watching commercials. Well, you know what happened, though? DVRs. DVRs yeah. made commercials really stupid. But that's still, I mean, we're about the same age, right? So that's still a recent development in our life. Yeah. You know, most of our formative years was terrible television commercials. Yeah, I got my first TiVo in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a standalone unit that hooked up to DirecTV. I think it was, I want to say like 2000 three or something like that and yeah. i was like this is amazing you can pause the tv you know you can pause it you go take a leak you could record things you could find search things and have them on a schedule because i fucking i had probably 10 vcrs in my life and never figured out how to record one of those right. bitches it's like, just flashing 12 yeah. o'clock <laughs> <laughs> i never scheduled one uh-huh. of them i never had one of them right. scheduled i don't think anybody figured that out some people must have There's but some... it's it's cool how it's changing i mean you know to see how how you know what's going on with netflix and amazon and all that kind of stuff and and most recently uh what tim ferris has done with his show have you followed that at all 
Which, what did so, you do? So Tim had a show called The Tim Ferriss Experiment, and mm-hmm. it aired on... I can't remember CNN. What, what, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was like a, another channel that was part of the CNN family. Right, like and headline then, news or something. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. headline news, but it was, it was something like that. And it went under, right? And so his show was, I don't know how many episodes it aired, but certainly not the entire 13, you know, of the season. And then it was just, you know, how it is in entertainment, like you're just done, mm-hmm. right? They own the show. And even though they were all taped and locked and, and, and completed, nobody had seen them. And somehow, he was able to get get his show back, and he he I don't know you know through lawyering or what what have you, and uh, bought the rights back, got his show, and cut a deal with iTunes, and it's premiered on iTunes this past week, and I think it's like the top ranked TV show on iTunes now. You can I wonder if their the TV season. show rankings though are just like their podcast rankings, <clears throat> you know. Well, who knows how the iTunes you know how that algorithm works? works well, it know? does. It's definitely not based on the number of downloads. No, it's definitely not. It's based on new, like it, it new it takes precedent, new subscribers, and and also uh, comments. Mm-hmm. So, like Chelsea Peretti had the number one podcast in the country, and she hadn't even released an episode yet. Right. So zero had been downloaded, but and they because also, people had subscribed. They over-inflate new shows. Mm-hmm. So when somebody premieres a show with one or two episodes, that it's it's like super high up for a while before yeah. it settles into where it should be. Well, I think that's good because it doesn't keep anybody from downloading other shows that are mm-hmm. already popular, and it does give new shows like a window. But like you'll see people, I'm number one. Right. Like you'll see like these brands, like, come on, man. Like, do you know what that means? Like, yeah. what is it? What are your numbers? How many downloads do you get? Because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. definitely not number one there. Yeah. It's, it's weird. The it's, rankings is weird. It goes all over the place. Like my show this week, uh, it's got a banner you know, in the top carousel of iTunes on the iTunes homepage for podcasts. Mm-hmm. So my numbers went way up this week you know, in right. overall rankings. But I know that's not real. You know, It'll settle back down. It, it will, but it won't. You know, It will, but it'll build. You know, I remember when we first started doing this podcast... I don't know what our downloads were. There were there were nothing though. Mm-hmm. It was like you know a few thousand here or there, and then it's one day it was like oh we're getting a million downloads a month. What mm-hmm. a million! And now it's somewhere around fourteen million. Is it really? Yeah. What's your what's your average download per show? You could you talk about depends that? depends on the show, but there's all the different things. There's iTunes. It's, then there's the raw MP3 that you can download. There's mm-hmm. Stitcher, which is really hard to track. Yeah, you don't know what, what's going right, on there. Right, Stitcher only takes one. They'll give you numbers, but you know, you gotta chase it down. Um, they, what they do is Stitcher is uh, an application for cell phones that allows they take a podcast and they lower the bit rate, they make it a much smaller file, and then they so they only download one episode, mm-hmm. but then it gets distributed through their system. You know, I don't know how many times. So then there's that. Then there's Ustream, which is a few thousand usually. Um, and then there's YouTube, which is tens, if not hundreds of thousands, usually hundreds of thousands. And then um, it's never tens of thousands. Um, and then um, Vimeo. So altogether, it's usually around a million an yeah. episode, depending that's, that's upon the episode. Crazy. Yeah, could be more. It's crazy numbers. Yeah powerful Joe Rogan. well it's just a number thing it's just an, you, you keep doing it uh, have interesting people like rich roll ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen have interesting people on have funny conversations fun conversations and just keep doing it you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. it builds I just listened to your uh, episode with Sam Harris from the other day and it's just he, that guy's captivating 
Yeah, he's, he's such an, an interesting dude. He's a very intelligent, very cool guy. I want to get him together with Abby Martin, though. She's not both in the same room. I'm sure your phone (laughs) rang uh, from her after that show. I got a few text messages. (laughs) We went back and forth. She's my friend. I'm very good friends with her, and I'm good friends with Sam too. I I like both of them. Well, Sam's got a next level brain. Yeah, he's very smart. Whether you agree with him or not, uh, he has an incredible acuity to present an argument and support it uh, Mm -hmm. and communicate it in a very clear and calm way. He's also very honest. You know, like, uh, if he's communicating an argument, he is not doing it to be deceptive. These are his actual feelings and thoughts, mm-hmm. and agree with them or not agree with them. This is his point of view. And uh, as is hers, you know? I mean, I, I respect both of them very much. I, I, I'm in the middle between both of them right. as well. I'm not necessarily 100% her side. I'm not necessarily 100% his side. Um, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, you're talking about death and war, and uh, anytime you can find any way to minimize or trivialize that it's easily open for argument or mm-hmm. open for criticism so that's why i see i see her point of view but i also see his point of view there's a lot of fucking crazy people in the world a lot of awful terrible people there's a lot of really dangerous ideologies that are being passed around and have been passed around for a long time and the people that are embedded in these ideologies are married to them. They're very, very committed mm-hmm. to it. And, you know, I see his point of view. He knows what he's talking about, and so does she. So it's it's crazy, you know. Well, a couple things. I mean, first of all, I'm always impressed with how you kind of navigate the treacherous waters of having guests on that you may disagree with, which may be me today. I don't know. But, you know, sort of you'll, you'll have people with differing point of view, sometimes extreme, sometimes not, uh, and, and the way that you kind of have to gracefully, like as a podcast host myself, that's always a challenge. You know, mm-hmm. like how do you um, have a respectful, engaging conversation, um, but also make sure that you're asking the right questions so that you're not just people pleasing the whole time. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with disagreeing with someone, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having a, a pleasant conversation with someone whose views you don't share. Mm-hmm. I think two people can be diametrically opposed on certain issues, but still be nice to each other. I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with that. And I think when I talk to someone who doesn't share my opinions or has differing opinions, I try to relax whatever part of me wants to argue with that and just try to figure out what is it where are they coming from you know where, where's what's their point of view based on is it logical is it emotional is it objective is it non you know what where 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 are they at you know mm-hmm. and also I, I like to play like sometimes people say yeah but you asked this and you asked that and like sometimes i'll ask people things that i don't even I don't even believe what I'm saying. What I'm what I'm trying to do is either play devil's advocate or argue the counterpoint, mm-hmm. just to try to figure out where they're at, right? And try to cover all the bases because, especially when it comes to a controversial issue, you know, you want you want to explore not just where a person's at, like what what they're trying to say, but how did they come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Right. And in the case of Sam, I mean, he's traveled extensively. He has firsthand experience with all these kinds of people. Um, so he has a basis from mm-hmm. where, you know, for where he's coming from. Uh, I was actually a funny story about him. I, I've never met him. I don't know him. But we were classmates. He, we were in the same freshman class in college at Stanford. And uh, and I don't like I said, I don't know him, but we have mutual friends in common. So a couple guys that I'm close with that he's still close with. And I was talking to one of them recently, and he just said, we were talking about Sam because he's blown up and he's everywhere, and, and you know, he's so in the zeitgeist right now. 
And uh, he was telling me that in some freshman, I don't know if it was a freshman English class or something like that, that that he that Sam just distinguished himself immediately, like by challenging the professor and just you, everybody knew that he was on a another level intellectually, hmm. you know, at, at, a, at a young age. Well, it's got to be very difficult if you're in college and you're taking classes from a person that you think is a dumbass, which does happen. Right. Right. I mean, I had it happen in college. I can c- clearly remember. Uh, I forget what class it was in, but I can clearly remember going, oh, all right. Well, now I have to just think only of the information, the the actual numbers and the data that's being presented mm-hmm. in this class, and ignore this person's opinion because they're a fucking idiot. It was, I believe, it was either a philosophy class or a psychology class. I don't even remember the exact circumstance, but I remember thinking, like, yeah, this is a real issue. And then as I got older, and uh, I started paying attention to some of the things that get taught in school and some of the like very rigid ideologies that some people, especially like really super lefties, like to uh, impose on students and some of the ideas they try to impose on students are very, it's very subjective ideas, you know, very, very much personal opinions. They get stuffed into kids' heads. And then, you know, it becomes an issue of whether or not. You know, whether or not you want that in your head, whether or not, I mean, are you going to get an A in this class if you disagree with this guy, but still present good arguments, or are you going to have to go along with the way this person is uh, Mm. trying to portray the world in order to be graded accordingly? I don't think critical thought is really uh, taught uh, to the extent that it should be in young people. You know, we're on this, you know, our education system is about, you know, getting through as much information as possible and standardized testing and you know, getting good grades and all that kind of thing. And, you know, the idea that you should be questioning the ideas that are presented to you is really not something that is, you know, part of that world to the extent that I think it should be. I agree. And I also think that there's very little being taught, especially at a high school level, of how to think. And not just like this is mathematics, this is the way you calculate things, This is these are the facts of history that we're aware of. Instead of, how, how do you deal with problems? How do you address interpersonal relationships? How do you, how do you look at yourself objectively? Do you ever step back and try to look at yourself the way maybe someone else would and judge yourself in your own actions instead of protecting yourself with your ego and all those things that people do like almost naturally to protect themselves really wind up being traps Mm. they really wind up fucking you up and you have to kind of clean up that mess as you get older well i mean i guess that's supposed to be on the parents uh but you know what i mean they don't know good how luck. to do it either. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> Especially for, you, you know, know I mean, life, are... life skills. What about just, you know, mm-hmm. learning how to navigate this crazy world that we're living in? You know, how, how about learning how to like, eat? For me, the most important thing, you know, as a parent, it's like I want my kids to, to be excited about life and to be excited about something, to figure out a way to be passionate about something. Because if they have that motor, that drive, that is like half the game right there. Right? It really and is, then, right? And then also to have that ability to critically, you know, to want to learn. The desire to learn is much more important than whatever you're learning. Yeah, I So agree. how do you make your kid enthusiastic about that, you especially find, when they're getting beaten down? You've got to find whatever it is that they're drawn to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you expose them to a lot of things, and then <clears> when they find something that they kind of gravitate towards, your job is to support that. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, and then... 
give them the opportunity to switch gears too. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a kid, I would be into a lot of different things, and my parents would always be like super resistant if I got into something else. They'd be like, "Well, what about the other thing that you do?" And I'm like, right. "Well, I want to do this now. Stop fucking with me." What, what were you into? Well, initially, I was really into art. Yeah, um, you're a crazy drawer. That's what I used to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. all all day long. When I was really young, I was uh, I wanted to be a comic book illustrator, so I used to draw a lot. And then um, when I was in my teenage years, I discovered martial arts, mm-hmm. and that's all I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. my parents were like, "Why do you want to do that? Like, why are you doing that when you used to do this?" I'm like, "Cause that's what I like now. Can I just like the?" And there, there's well, also that presupposes that you have to make a choice between two things. Right. Like, why do you have to define yourself by one of those? Well, why couldn't you be my dad? What happened? Right. <laughs> Where were you <laughs> when my mom was hot? <laughs> yeah, I think there's, um, you know, it's a lot of it is people, you know, they're raising their kids. They just want the best for their kids. They just maybe don't have the best ideas. You know, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily know. And it's also like, I mean, I was born in 1967. So my parents were basically cave people. I mean, let's be realistic. Mm. Like people that were, if you're if you're born in '67, that means your parents were. If you, my parents were born in like '47, right? Mm. My mom was like 20 when she had me. So 1947, that's fucking World War Two, dude. Yeah. That means that her parents were born during World War One. Her parents came over on the boat from Italy. It's they're savages. Yeah. They're, they're basically they they might as well be Magellan. Right. I mean, <laughs> well, they're two. I mean, I was born in '66, so same you know same basic idea. My parents, you know, they're they're too old to have been part of kind of '60s subculture, um, so they kind of missed that part. Oh, but right. too young to kind of be '70s vibe, also. <laughs> so there's sort of a weird, like, light dusting of Mad Men era on them, <laughs> you know. And they're great people. I love my parents. You know, they're 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 fan, and they did you know the best job that they could raising me, and we're close and all that kind of stuff. But but they live, you know, they don't understand. They have a they have a challenge trying to understand like what I'm doing now. Really? They try, yeah. Like, and and they're happy that I'm that I'm happy. But it's very, you know, they're coming from a generation where, you know, look, I grew up in a really education-focused household, and I tried to my best to live up to that, and to some extent I succeeded at that, but the whole idea was premised on, you know, this myth of the American dream, you know, study hard, get into the best school, get into the best graduate school, get the best job you can, you know, work hard and, like, do as you're told and ascend the ladder and... The implicit promise, you know, at the end of that rainbow, of course, is not only, you know, sort of security and prosperity, but happiness. Yeah. And for me, I chased that without ever really, without those critical thinking skills, because I never really intuited that. I was just so focused on the prize. And I'm very disciplined and determined. And, but I wasn't able to step outside the box and look at it analytically in comparison to, you know, what would be best for me. Like I never said, what do I want? It was just, this is what you do. This is how you get ahead. This is how you have a good life. I think there's also... So it's not their fault. Sure. No, it's definitely not their fault. The amount of information that they had available to them back then in comparison to what we have today Hmm. is unbelievably different now. There's so much more information now. And I think there's also a very... There's a a real lack of understanding of the landscape of the race you're in. 
Like everybody wants to think of it as a race, is the rat race. Mm. But if you looked, if you could get an aerial view of the actual race from birth to death, from the time you're born to the time you leave this planet, and look at it as like you're looking at a Formula One racetrack, and you could actually see the course, you'd be like, oh fucking Jesus Christ, what am I doing here? Right. I'm wasting all my time doing shit I don't want to do. This race is not very long. This race is going to end. Like this is. Oh fuck! I thought it, I thought there's like a happiness truck somewhere right. along the line yeah, that I was yeah. going to refuel with, and well, it's going to change idea. my tires when I get my PhD. It's the idea that you're going to arrive at some point, or that you're going to land in this destination mm -hmm. that is called success or happiness. And when you get to our age, you realize that that's just that's an illusion, right? It just continues, and you start to think about, you know, what your life means. What do you stand for, and and what is your legacy? You know, mm -hmm. it's like we're approaching fifty. It's like what you know, if I die today. What was, you know, what did I, what did I leave in my wake? Well, even that, like the bottom line is whatever you leave, it's not going to matter because it's going to matter to some people that you know, and they're going to leave right. too. Everyone's going to leave. But are you enjoying this? Are you enjoying the moment? Everyone's working towards this like ultimate, like the retirement years, the golden years. Like you're fucking almost dead when those years come. Like those, you see those people like holding hands and walking along. They barely can walk. Their knees hurt. They're all fucked up. Like that's not what you work for. You don't work towards this ultimate point where you don't do anything anymore. And that's ridiculous. That what you should work towards is doing what you enjoy doing right now, enjoying your life right now, enjoying mm -hmm. your friends right now, enjoying whatever hobbies you like to pursue, whatever, you know, love affairs and friendships and all that stuff is what life is. It's, life is the moment, being in the moment. And we somehow have turned it into this this weird uh, like journey to a, a very specific point, specific points of High school graduation, college graduation, good job, marriage, children. We have all these like milestones that are supposed to impart happiness in this race, and they, they're not real. They're social constructs, and we've we've created these social constructs, and we've fed into them and and, and passed them down from generation to generation without anybody stepping back and going, well, who who set this up? Mm -hmm. Who set up who set up graduate school? Who set who set up <clears throat> who set up Common Core? Who who are these people? Like why why is why is it this way? What is it? We're just biological organisms trying to have as much happiness and good feeling while we're here as we can. I feel like that's changing though. You know, I think that if you talk to somebody who's in their twenties, you know, the idea that you would work a corporate job and stay in that job for your career and collect your pension and then ride out your sixties and seventies playing golf is a foreign concept to a young person. Whereas that was the kind of paradigm, right, for our parents' generation. Yeah. And when you look at the advent of the Internet and what that provides and allows, you see this explosion in kind of lifestyle careers where you're not wed to a geographic location. We live in a, a kind of subcontractor economy where people, you know, are more project-based than, than, you know, working for the big corporation or the plant. And certainly all that stuff exists on some level, but not to the extent that it, that it used to. And I think that's super interesting. And I think that allows people to engage in critical thinking in a new and different way. And I think you see young people who are asking themselves those very questions, like, what do I want to do? What makes me happy? With that can come entitlement. And that's why I think, you know, the millennials get a, get a bad rap for that. But at the same time, I think that they are much more engaged 
in trying to grapple with who they are and what it is that, you know, they're passionate about expressing and then finding a way to tap into the economy somehow so that they can um, contribute and make a living doing that. And I think that that's really cool to watch unfold. I agree. And I think that the, the idea that millennials are entitled, <clears throat> I think kind of every young kid has a distorted perception of the world that we live in, in, in every generation. Well, and they're probably all less that, so today. You know, they're going to they're gonna be in some, probably not on a podcast, but in some form of media, you know, 20 years from now, talking about how, you know, you and I are out to lunch. You know, <laughs> well, right? we were. I mean, that's the we natural order of things. Yeah. But how our priorities and how we raise them, you know, mm -hmm. was myopic in some way. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah, they'll figure, they'll figure it out. They'll get it better than we're doing it. Well, with the acceleration of technology, I mean, who knows where things are going to be? We just can't foresee what, the what that world would look like. Yeah, human beings might be obsolete in 20 <laughs> That's years. True, man. Did you listen to the last hour of the Sam Harris podcast? No, we were talking I think about I, artificial intelligence? No, I got into the first. I think I, I didn't make <sighs> it through the end of it. <clears throat> the last hour keeps yeah. me up at night. Did you see there's a movie called Ex Machina? Yeah, I'm going to see it tonight. That's so interesting. Aha! Tomorrow night, it's actually. it's it's haunting. Mm. It's it's very well done. It's a very small, you know, very contained, independent movie, but it's so well executed, and you just leave like with a lot to think about. There's a lot Pretty to think about. Period. Yeah. You know, I had a long sit down with Ray Kurzweil, and uh, I interviewed him for the sci-fi show that I did, and we went back and forth over the possibilities of this new era that we're entering into we were we went to <clears throat> excuse me this global 2045 initiative yeah that um they were having in new york city where all the futurists got together and they were all comparing notes and talking about the different possibilities for not just artificial intelligence but symbiotic relationships with computers downloading consciousness into databases and all this kind of crazy right. shit and you walk away thinking like i don't i don't know if anybody knows where this is going and it's not going to stop. There's, there's going to mm -hmm. be continual innovation until we reach some, some event horizon of science, some, some point of no return, you know, some what they call ultimate novelty point. That's what Terrence McKenna used to call it, you know, this ultimate novelty point. And it's probably going to happen within our lifetime. It's probably going to happen within the next 20 or 30 years. You think it's going to happen that soon? I, I mean, I'm just guessing. It's, mm -hmm. all, it's total guessing. Well, there's always the issue of natural disasters. Any real natural disaster would throw a massive hiccup into any plans mm -hmm. that anyone has. I mean, if all we'd need is Yellowstone to blow, and it would set back civilization two, three generations easily, if not forever. Well, how about just California running out of water? You know what, or, man? Uh, <clears throat> I think if we can get oil from Saudi Arabia, how the fuck can we not get water from Antarctica? That they, they're, everybody's whining about those those ice caps melting. Just stick a fucking big <laughs> pipe on those bitches <laughs> yeah. and run them down to the almond fields. Well, you know how what's weird. You know what's weird is uh, is how ch you would think like if you didn't know better, you would think how hard can it be to desalinate the ocean? Mm -hmm. Like that's got to be elementary school chemistry, right? Right. But it's interesting that it's so difficult that like the best minds are having such a hard time figuring that out, and it's almost like. The universe has rigged it that way because human beings are such idiots that if they made it easy, <laughs> our oceans would be dry deserts right now you know, because to... we can't help ourselves. We cannot help ourselves. And that is the same, you know, compulsion that is propelling technology forward mm -hmm. and will ultimately catapult us into this 
AI universe that's going to destroy us. I, yeah, we, I think <laughs> whatever it is that's obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> Why we find that funny is weird, right? I know. <clears throat> but it's, it is true. If we could fucking dry out the ocean, you, we you, would have done it a long time ago. Those houses in Malibu would be worth dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> His dummies have bought $20 million houses, and that's not really a $20 million house. It's just $20 million because it's right there on the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that house would be worth fuck all because there would be like a few hundred yards of dirt in front of your house now. I mean, how hard can it be to separate salt from water? Apparently, it's pretty hard. hard. Yeah. Well, you know, they just opened up a large uh, desalination plant in San Diego. I heard about that. Spent over a billion dollars in this fucker and they Mm -hmm. give it a run. Right. I just think it's a matter of time. I mean, it's absolutely possible to take salt out of water. So I don't think that there's been as much incentive in the past as there is now. And now that California has gone on this three-year drought where we need 11 trillion gallons of water just to bring us back to normal. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Wow. Well, it's, it's kind of emblematic of how we deal with problems. Because instead of trying to solve the problem that got us to this place, we're just looking for another source of water. Mm-hmm. Right. It's sort of like taking, you know, it's like taking Viagra to deal with the fact that you can't get a boner instead of looking at why it is you can't get a boner. Right. You know but what if, I mean, like you're 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 dealing with the symptom. But there are deserts that didn't used to be deserts. I mean, there, but not there's, because of humankind. Right. Because of that's because of natural forces. Right. So there is certainly one aspect of this that you can kind of point towards human beings. But the reality of the earth The absolute reality of the earth is climates change, oceans, the levels change, they always have, and even if people didn't exist, you you would have to deal with that. So- Starting to sound like a climate change No, 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 but I'm definitely not. All I'm saying is we have this idea that once we're in a spot, we should be able to stay in this spot. Mm -hmm. Like this is a spot. But there are spots in North America, first of all, like- Half of North America was covered in a mile of ice just 10,000 years ago. That's a fact. And we have to deal with the fact that if we want to, like, set up a a house and have, we want to have five acres right here. Well, guess what? In 20 years, for whatever reason, that might not be a good spot anymore. And we have this idea that once we own property, that that spot should be livable and ideal forever. And even if people didn't have anything to do with the climate, the climate will shift. Change, things change. They always will change. We just have this really rigid idea of like where we should be able to put cities. I mean, when they keep finding these cities from like several thousand years ago, like, did you ever see those concentric circles that they found in the water that they believe represents like something very similar to what Atlantis was described as no, outside where of that? Spain? Oh, wow. Outside of Spain, they've, they've found many, many underground cities where at some point in time the sea level changed Mm -hmm. and it was long before carbon emissions long before people were burning fossil fuels and using machines it's just things shift it's not to exonerate large corporations coal our dependence on fossil fuel that's it's a totally separate argument i absolutely think all you have to do is look at la from a fucking airplane or worse I got photos of Mexico City. Holy shit, yeah, dude. Yeah, I was, I was in Mexico City oh, a couple months ago. We go to, to Mexico City in June again for the UFC. By the way, nicest people. Mm-hmm. Very, very friendly. Like, you have this idea of Mexico City as being, like, horrible, crime-ridden, awful place. It's not. They're really nice people. But They just need better roads. God, their fucking pollution is insane. <laughs> yeah. You can taste it with your face. 
Like when you get out of the airplane, you're like, whoa, this is crazy. And well, apparently it's better than it used to be. Whether it's Mexico City or L.A., you, you, you get this really kind of potent sense. You, know, you see the lights and the grid and, and you realize and the cars driving on the freeway and you realize it's just an organism. You yep. know, there's yeah. these, these freeways are carrying cars are the arteries and the cars are the blood cells. And we're feeding these cities like they're, you know, organs in this larger, you know, unit that is interdependent. And it's interesting. And I think it, it you know, what you said about this idea of, of human beings and, and this idea that, that we think everything is static. I mean, I think that applies across the board. Like we think these cities will always be there, but we also think that our lives are, are somewhat static or that our relationships are static or our jobs are static or our bank accounts, all of these things, um, you know, we kind of agree to in this social contract, but everything is fluid, man. You know, it's everything true. is ch fluid and changing, you know, all the time on the micro level that leads to the macro. And it's always going to be that way. And you also have to realize, I think we have to realize that one of the, I can't find these pictures of fucking Mexico I think you posted City. that. I think yeah, I, I, I remember did. when you. It's on my Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the point is that the, the only way a city got to be a city in the first place is things had to change radically. If you, you looked at where that city is, you looked at Los Angeles, where it is. 400 years ago, there was absolutely nothing. You know, there's probably some Native Americans and some Mexicans and some various people. This is back when it was Mexico, and they were wandering around and doing their thing. But there, there was no, there was no highways and sky rises and all that stuff was really, really recent. And in terms of the the actual age of the Earth, my God, it's like blink your eye and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. cities are at. literally a blink of an eye, and then everything's polluted, everything's fucked, and Malibu beachfront property is ridiculously overpriced. But in the history of this planet, has there ever been more change planetarily, with the exception of natural <clears> disasters, <throat> than there has been in the last 200 years? Well, in that sense, aren't human beings a, a kind of a natural we, disaster? We're a virus on the planet. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's what Hicks called us. He called oh, us he a, a virus with shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Well, the opening of my um, uh, Showtime special from like 2005, I argued that... If you looked at the Earth as a living organism and you're flying over and you saw L.A., you'd go, well, that's cancer. That's a growth. It's, it's, it's growing. It's out of control. It's, it stinks. It looks like it's, it's a mess, and it's getting bigger. We're greedy bastards. We're lacking that gene that prioritizes uh, doing things sustainably. You mm. know, I think it's a huge problem. Like, we're predatory. We're not symbiotic. Well, I think we have an, an inescapable thirst for innovation. We want new and better things and we want progress. In but quotes. we're short-sighted in that <clears throat> regard. We are. We don't we're, we're unable to see the bigger picture. We what? don't have the foresight to to make the responsible decision quite often. Quite often. Well, we 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 err towards the size of profit, sorry, towards the uh, side of profit and uh, and and success and oftentimes at the expense of What is, what is that, you think? Though? I don't know. I mean, it's other animals, probably what other animals don't have that. <clears throat> you know, they do, beyond, though. They it, do, though. They do. Be beavers fuck up dams, and they, they create dams and ruin rivers. I mean, but they don't make beaver cities. Because they can't. You know? <laughs> they could. They would. They could get together and, you know. 
If they could Make chew more one wood, huge giant dam in the Mississippi River. <laughs> if they could agree with each other, yeah. and they would probably do it. They don't give a fuck about you. You know, I mean, the bears just shit wherever they walk. They, they don't. They don't clean up. They don't have like a certain spot where they put all their shit. They just don't have enough of an impact mm -hmm. to really change the environment around them. But if they could, they would. Uh, I was listening to a Radio Lab podcast about the Galapagos Islands, and it's very fascinating because um, they had to eradicate goats. Because these sailors had brought goats over, you know, way back in the day. And um, they had brought goats and they'd put them on the island so that they could come back and, and eat them. Like they would mm -hmm. have a food source. But these goats just destroy everything in their path. They just killed everything and they fucked it all up for the tortoises. These poor tortoises were fucked. They didn't have any plant matter anymore because mm -hmm. all these goats were coming along. So then they hired these people to kill the goats. So they flew over in helicopters and they gunned down the goats. And then goats started getting smart. So what they do was they would find goats. They would capture them. They would put radio collars on them. They would scare them. They would run over to where the other goats were. And then they would find where the goats were. They would kill all of them except the ones with the radio collars. And so they became what they called Judas goats. It's really fascinating wow. how they set this up. And then it got to a point where um, it was nothing but Judas goats. That's all that was left. And so then, you know, they, they tried to reintroduce tortoises. It's really, uh, really fascinating. But mm. the argument could be made that any animal acting purely in its own interest will ultimately fuck up everything around it. And that's one of the reasons why there's got to be some kind of a balance. Mm -hmm. There's got to be some kind of a balance between humans and the plants that we coexist with and the animals that we coexist with. And the same can be said with animals. Like, you know, you can't have too many predators in an area. You can't have too many, uh, you know, too many deer in an area. You run into them with cars. They start starving to death. You get ticks and people start spreading, they start spreading Lyme disease and there's like humans and animals, and they all act in their own interest. It's just we're the only ones that have fingers. Well, we can manipulate shit and change the environment in ways that no other animal could even come close to. There is an infinitely complex, you know, play that's going on, and we insert ourselves into that, and we have this reductionist idea. Oh, if we insert this one thing, then that will fix the problem. And what we don't do is really understand that that. The, inter the, the, the extent to which the interdependency of everything else comes into play. Yeah. And I think that's true whether you're introducing an animal to an ecology to solve a problem and it creates a bigger problem, or whether you're you know, taking a drug to resolve one condition that has side effects, or whether you're overly focused on one micronutrient or macronutrient as the solution to your health problem. You know, everything is more complicated than that. And, you know, I don't think that we kind of embrace a more holistic approach to, you know, whether it's our problems or our health or, or, or what have you. But that's another thing that's like not part of our wiring. And it's not part of the, you know, the, the scientific method is by definition reductionist. Because you have to isolate variables and look at one thing at a time. It's true. Right? Yeah, so. that's very true. That's very true. Science in and of itself is reductionist. And I think that there's also this weird hope that people have that if like f we fuck something up, then our backs get against the wall, then someone really smart will invent a solution and it'll all be better. Mm -hmm. You know, that someone like right now is analyzing the who knows how many fucking trillions of pounds of plastic we've dumped in the ocean. And they're trying to figure out some way to suck all that stuff out and turn it into some sort of a fuel or some resource that we can capitalize on. 
that's those those kind of thinking or that kind of thinking is real common. We always think that eventually someone smarter will figure out a way out of this mess. Yeah, Elon Musk is going to solve it for all of us, <laughs> right? And I, yeah, I think that he might. I think that part of that is just the level of disenfranchisement that the average person has. Like, we just don't feel like our vote counts. We don't feel like our dollar counts. And like, fuck it, you know, <clears throat> Dancing with the Stars is on. And like, I can't make a difference. So, you know, I'm going to throw my garbage out the window and who cares? I just found out that Dancing with the Stars has been on for 10 years. Has it? I've never watched a single episode. <laughs> I really have never. I've, I've been flipping uh, through the channels and I saw some people dancing and everybody cheering. And I was like, what in the actual fuck? And then I changed the channel again. Like, you're, we're watching people dance now? Really? Like, nobody likes to dance like that. That was like, okay, isn't that real what, rare. Isn't that what, like, Mexican TV was? <laughs> dancing with the stars? Was no, but it? like, you know, you turn on, like, when we were kids, it was like, it was all song and dance, you know, on the Spanish television shows, Spanish networks. I thought it was all those crazy soap operas. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but that's what reality TV is, sort of, right? We've regressed. Mm, in some ways. Well, there's a part of us that really, we really love base things. You know, we love emotions. Like, I was just thinking of this the other day. The talk show host, like, um, like a uh, Morton Downey Jr. or a Jenny Jones or, or a Geraldo Rivera, any of those shows or like... Montel Williams where they would have guests and then they would go to the audience and the audience would like say something that would get everybody to go oh like th that that thing that they created that parent those are like the original YouTube commenters those are like the original like social media commenters <laughs> the people that are in the audience that don't have anything to do with what's on them but they get to interject and say something and then that becomes a part of the entertainment right and it, but it's really just you know, it's this weird social interaction between human beings and us, like, sitting as sidelines. What are, what are you showing? Jerry Springer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Jerry Springer. He's the the master of that. What a crazy way to make a living, right? I know. I mean... Well, he, that guy was a character. Yeah. Is he still is he still alive, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's actually a very intelligent guy. He is. Wasn't he mayor of Cleveland or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he got... In trouble, some Cincinnati. prostitution, Cincinnati. There's a little, I think there was a little cocaine problem at one. A little point, bit right? of that, <laughs> a little bit of blow. But you know, we we enjoy those stupid moments that don't mean anything. You know, where someone says something and everybody goes, "Oh!" There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with a guilty pleasure, though. You know what I mean? No, it's not okay. necessarily. Look, you can't fix the world. You can't be Captain Savaho and go out there and fix the whole world yeah. and go to the Jerry Springle crowd and start hanging out kale leaves and mm -hmm. you know pamphlets for yoga classes. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. Are you talking about me, Joe? Talking Rogan? about everybody. Look, I eat, I eat kale too, dude. I know you that's do. a it's a thing, man. If you um if you've ever mocked like very uh, uh just just relic ridiculous proselytizing vegans which i have uh -huh. people think all of a sudden it's i a don't pastime. like vegans <laughs> they think i don't like them or uh -huh. i don't eat that food i eat that food almost always mm -hmm. like i eat more vegetables than i eat meat i eat way more vegetables i eat a lot of it i think it's good for you well vegans are an easy target they, you guys honest. are easy as fuck you know what i mean so uh but you're not you're you're like you're like the if if all vegans were like you, there would be no target. It was like people who just eat healthy. That's it. You're yeah, just I mean, someone who enjoys eating plants instead of animal products, and that's just that's just your diet. It doesn't become a fucking religion with you. No, I mean, look, you know, first of all, 
it's not it's not my place to to pass judgment on anybody else and their behavior patterns and their habits and you know i'm not i'm not trying to you know recruit people to my lifestyle you know if people want to ask me about it i'm happy to talk about it but I'm not like yelling from a bully pulpit, you know, shaming people or the shaming people or, is or a problem, like, right? I have no, I have no, you know, air of moral superiority about it whatsoever. It's a, it's a lifestyle that I choose, but I don't think that um, that gives me, you know, permission to um, levy judgment on any other human being and and their choices. So, you know, the way that I try to communicate the message is just to, you know, live my life and, you know, sort of stand where I'm standing. And if people are interested, they'll come to me and, and, you know, I can communicate to them. But, um, but it's, you know, it's not a proselytizing point of view that I adopt. I think some people adopt certain behaviors just because it gives them license to be an asshole. I really do. I mean, there are, there are certain issue. vegans that think that because they are vegans, they can go out and attack and be really shitty to other people. And somehow or another, they're acting in a, a positive way, and they're going to enact some po positive change by being really shitty to people. It's like this idea of a social justice warrior falls into the same category by being really mean to people that you think think the wrong way or behave the wrong way that somehow or another you're going to shame them into changing by being really aggressive and and offensive to them i mean shaming somebody is not an effective way of trying to getting them to change it's one of the you least know, effective people ways. i mean look people change when they're ready to change mm -hmm. you know it's really an, an internal willingness that drives change mm -hmm. and you know somebody's either ready to make a change or they're not and and different people receive messages in different ways so if you look at look if you look at the vegan movement because that's what we're talking about you know there are super hardcore animal rights activists and they have a certain way of communicating and there's a certain population of people that are receptive to that kind of communication there are other people that are interested in environmental issues they want to be better environmentalists and so there are people that speak to the vegan movement from that perspective um, and and there's a certain audience that's receptive to that Right. You know, and the way that I communicate it or carry the message is in a different way. And there's, you know, different people that are attracted to that. So I, I think whatever your your point of view is or whatever movement you're part of, and that we can get into the whole idea of how we're wired to be on teams and, all, and how mm -hmm. counterproductive that is. But, um, you know, there's enough people out there that are, uh, you know, there's a diversity of voices and a diversity of of audiences that you know every every you know every kind of voice carries a frequency that 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 other people respond to i guess i didn't say that very articulately but i know what you're saying though you know there there are definitely going to be there, there's no one that responds well to being insulted though no one i mean mm -hmm. if you're really trying to convey a message being really shitty about it is the last thing well look at look at you know political talk shows on saturday and sunday morning and they're just mm -hmm. shouting at each other and and basically they're just rallying support from their base mm -hmm. each side but yeah. they're but trying I, to win but, right? but, but they're not con they're not converting people from one side to the other no one ever gets converted. So, yeah. The only way yeah. anybody ever gets converted is like if you can say something very thoughtful that penetrates past this wall of ideology they have in their head. 
and they go, hmm, and then they have to consider it. But they're not going to consider it if you're insulting. They're just not. They're, right. It's going to be a contest. It's going to be a you versus them. You say something rude to them. They're going to try to say something ruder to you, mm-hmm. and you're, you're playing ping pong. Ping pong, ping. Right. You're just ping pong with insults. And, and to be clear, like, you know, I'm a member of this community, and, you know, I, I, a proud member, I would say. And Are I you think, a card-carrying member? I think member? Uh, I, have I have the card in my wallet. Is it a leaf? Um, <laughs> it is a leaf. <laughs> It's in that juicy lady's glass it's a over nut. there. <laughs> yeah. We don't have cards. We just carry a sphere. I, I think, you know, my theory on it, the people that are that are kind of, you would characterize as, you know, vociferous and angry and, and, and judgmental. Uh, my theory is that there's a certain percentage of the population that come out of the womb. Um, Broken? Are, well, there's that. Okay. So there's that, of course. You know, mm. there are those people for sure. Um, and there are other people that I think are wired to be super sensitive. Sure. And from a very early age, they just find the idea of, you know, an animal dying for food to be the most intolerable concept they can imagine. Right. And they're just that's that's how they came into the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and so they kind of, you know, grow older and they navigate the world and they start, you know, becoming sort of more outspoken about this idea. And when people are not receptive to it or they're not seeing the world the way that they're seeing it, they become progressively more frustrated. And that frustration turns to resentment. That resentment can morph into anger. And then, you know, you have what you see, which is, which is people who are they're just, they're just incensed that other people are not seeing the world the way that they're seeing it. And yeah. I think that applies, you know, to any contingent of the population that holds a very strong point of view. I, I agree with you. I think that there's, there, there's definitely going to be certain people that are hardwired for sensitivity. There's just no getting around yeah. it. And you realize that when you have children. You know, I have um, two young daughters that are so different. They're only two years apart from each other, grew up in the same household. They could not be more different. Right. And it's just right out of the box. They're just different people. Yeah, and you and, realize, like, you had nothing to do with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have a little bit to do with how they, you know, how they process things and how they deal with things based on learned. But that innate core mm-hmm. kind of perspective and whatever they're naturally inclined to is just you can see it at such a young age yeah that's the difference right the difference is uh, like what what is just a a real part of them what is a real part of them like what 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 is just inescapable like they have certain ingredients like a car is made out of aluminum and rubber and metal like there's certain ingredients that Mm -hmm. certain people have when they're born and also inclinations, inclinations towards certain activities, like we were talking about before, like trying to find things that make your children happy, trying to encourage things that make your children happy, to find a thing that they like, in, they, that jives with their ingredients, mm-hmm. you know. And some people they look at animals and they just have this inescapable, inescapable kinship. And some of that some of that kinship is ridiculous to the point where you ever read those Tumblr blogs where people think that they're they should have been born a fox. No, I haven't seen that. Foxkin? You never seen that? That sounds like something Red Band would spend a lot of time doing. What thinking you used to be a no, fox? No, just being on no, being on like weird Tumblr sites. Um, weird Tumblr sites can get very addictive. Yeah. You you wonder whether or not you're being trolled. You know, some of them are so weird, you wonder like, mm. okay, is this is this real? Mm. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Foxkin. You never heard of that? No, I haven't. To look around. So, people that they 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 believe that they should have been born as foxes. 
Yes. Okay. They believe they're a fox king. Well, That's you're, you're, you're an open-minded thinker. You know? <laughs> There's other dimensions at play. You saw Interstellar. There is a, I didn't see Interstellar, Oh, you didn't? No, I haven't seen uh, it yet. I'm fucking busy, bro. Uh, but the, um, the idea is just... That's a ridiculous idea. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's also people that have this very idealistic idea of animals and nature itself, which is, there's some videos we've been showing recently with uh, deer that are eating uh, birds, eating birds alive, which apparently is a recent discovery hmm. that deer are not really just herbivores. They're herbivores by convenience. But when they find uh, birds on the ground, they eat them. They seek them out. They actually chase them. And, is that uh, is that a result of encroaching habitat by urban centers or no no yeah. these are wild deer in very uh, rural areas mm. they've been observed too uh, it's, it's just uh, apparently they get minerals and stuff from from deer uh, from uh, birds rather and um, they're more inclined to do so when they're growing their antlers they uh, feel you know more. Uh, more drawn to eating birds yeah, that's interesting i didn't know that yeah there's a bunch of videos it's kind of disturbing because mm -hmm. you, you know even though i'm a i'm a hunter and i eat deer i i think they're beautiful and i always think of them as being these peaceful things and when you see them chasing a bird and just chewing it alive and this fucking thing is kicking inside their <laughs> mouth and trying to get away well, they're just, they're part of the, you know, natural cycle of life. They're just trying to survive like everything else. Yes. Know? And I think, you know, I, I think to the casual observer, you know, or somebody who's listening to this podcast, they may think that there's this, you know, giant gap between the way that you live and the way that I live. And I, I think there's actually a bigger gap between the way that I live and, and the normal human being than yourself because of you know, look, you're a hunter. I don't hunt. You know, it's it's not something that I'm interested in doing. But you have a connection to where your food is coming from that is very um, close and primal, and and in the grand scheme of things, more sustainable than the way that you know the average typical American. It's kind uh, of more sustainable, but uh, honestly, not for everybody. The reality of well, wild, not everybody could do it. Yeah, you know, not everybody could do it. I mean, I think that. That right now, <clears throat> our food system is broken. You know, mm -hmm. our, our our system of factory farming is unsustainable. Um, I actually brought you this documentary. What? Who said it? it's called Cowspiracy? Um, Cowspiracy. Oh, Cowspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was well, involved in uh, producing this movie. You should check it out. But basically, it's a look at at um, the impact of animal agriculture on. Our environment. And it's, it's horrible. It's pretty interesting. Did you see that um, that video that they got off uh, a drone video of these gigantic pig farms and the, just the fucking unbelievable environmental catastrophe these things create, where they have lakes of piss and shit from these pigs. It's they abhorrent. Have, have you seen it? No, I haven't. You, you I really should see it. See if you could pull that video up, Jamie, because it's, it's it's insane to look at. When you you stop and think about the 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 amount of uh, Smithfield Foods factory farms, that's it right there. Mm. If you this guy uh, flies his drone, which is pretty fucking cool that they have these drones now that you could do this and get this high resolution video. That's interesting. Um, if you're dealing with a place like Los Angeles, 20 million people, 20 million people, and 95 percent of the meat meat. You're dealing with an insane amount of flesh that needs to be consumed on a daily basis. And it has to be grown somewhere and shipped somewhere. And conveniently, we want to 
sort of ignore it. Like that is a lake of shit and piss, mm -hmm. and it's all coming from these these f factories right there in front of you. Those are housing units for pigs. They're stuffed into these things, crammed next to each other, and they stand on these metal grates. So the metal grates are porous. They piss and shit. It goes through the holes. Uh, and it all goes through these tubes that lead down into that giant lake. Apparently the smell, if you're anywhere near there, is so bad, you literally feel like you could probably light the air on fire. I'm sure Smithfield, Smithfield is not too excited about this video being out there. And, you know, there's all these ag-gag laws right now that prevent mm -hmm. consumers from filming this kind of thing. Isn't so that insane? that he's been able to do this with a drone. And, you know, whether you're, you know, whether you eat bacon for breakfast every morning or you eat more like me, I think we can all agree that that transparency is important. And these companies are not transparent about how they produce their food. And there's a lot of problems with it. And the waste that it creates and the amount of resources and, you know, what goes into this process is something that I think we could all benefit from taking a harder look at. You know, what would be interesting is if you go to the... Um, Cowspiracy website, they have all these facts about kind of, you know, every sort of environmental impact of, of what animal agriculture does from water use to CO2 emissions to land use to species extinction to rainforest destruction. And when you look at the statistics, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's like the elephant in the room. You know, we talk about when we talk about global climate change or, or greenhouse gas emissions, we talk about we talk about fossil fuel use, we talk about fracking, and rightly so, these are important things to talk about. But really, the thing that we're not talking enough about is the impact of, of <laughs> our food system on all of these systems. And when you look at, for example, water use, we're talking about water, right? Well, you know, there's PSAs in California, we're not supposed to take long showers, we can't water our lawns, all these sorts of things. And the truth is, is that consumer water use in California is like 5%. And animal agriculture accounts for like 55% of all water use. And you know what a big so, one is? You know what the really what? big useless one is? Well, golf courses. Golf courses. Well, animal agriculture trumps golf courses. Right, I mean, but at least animal agriculture is like feeding animals that people right, right, eat. Right, You're just feeding... As opposed to white dudes rolling balls around the grass. That's an insane, insane yeah, amount of water. For your, for your amusement, right? Yeah. I think it takes something like 660 gallons of water to produce a hamburger and like a thousand gallons of milk or a thousand gallons of water to produce one gallon of milk, something like that. Like the, the statistics are completely insane. And that because a lot of it is the water that's used to grow the grain that you're feeding to these mm -hmm. animals. So when you look at it systemically, you know, it's just it doesn't like if you were an alien who beamed down to planet Earth and said, take me to your leader and show me how you make your food, he would just be like, you guys are crazy. You're like killing the planet to do this. Doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not sustainable in the, in the long term. If we did it exactly the way we're doing it right now forever, would that be sustainable? I don't think so. Because we can do it right now. Well, I mean, we're, the way that we're doing it right now, I mean, we're destroying like rainforest like crazy right it's like one to two acres like every hour or something like that but isn't that like, a lot of it is uh due to they're they're getting exotic hardwoods and all these different it's all lumbering and there's some of that for sure and there's palm oil and there's mm -hmm. other things like that but i think the gravamen like the, the the majority of it goes to grazing land and growing crops for for livestock and this is other countries this is not america i mean america yeah, like is Amazonian not, not, rainforest yeah we're not cutting down the rainforest in america and we're not getting our beef from there either 
But so, I think you know, like an insane amount of our total land mass is devoted to is devoted to animal agriculture, agriculture too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's like billions of these animals that we're specifically raising to eat. You know, and it's it's a it's a huge it's a huge problem. It it is a huge problem that is something that is outside of your normal thinking you, normal everyday thinking you're getting on the highway god damn it there's traffic today mm-hmm. you're getting to work oh great we got this new project we have to deal with and your 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 real existence like all that stuff is bullshit if you don't have any food all that traffic all that the work stuff like hey you, you're gonna die you don't have any food like this mm-hmm. is like here's here's a bunch of things that you need to have in place before you think about any other hobbies or projects or whatever you're trying to accomplish with your career, you got to have a place where you can breathe the air. Okay. The air has to be clean. That's one. Well, the ocean has to be (laughs) hospitable for, For, you know, for fish and plant life, right? Yes. Well, if you're a vegan, you really don't need to worry about anything other than the plant life in the ocean. If you're only eating kelp, but actually kelp is like a very good source of protein. That goes back to this reductionist idea, right? These are complex ecosystems. So you knock one thing out in the ocean and the domino effect of that, you know, like these, the runoff that's caused from, you know, waste, animal agriculture is a big one. There's all kinds of waste that pours into the ocean. And it creates these massive dead um, zones. Dead zones. The mm. algal blooms, right? That yeah. deprives them, like, like thousands of acres worth across the ocean that are so oxygen deprived that nothing can live in them. Well, there was a big die-off when I was in uh, Hermosa Beach a couple of years ago. They had a giant fish die-off where it was oh so fucking stinky. It was so nasty. Or they'd wash up on the shore. Well, I think they just died like in in certain bays you know there there was an 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 area where they just hit a dead zone Mm -hmm. and a bunch of fish died and super normal very common happens all the time and it smelled so bad it was just you know probably a fucking million dead fish or something wow yeah Yeah. awful yeah yeah yeah. but but we're so what we're getting at but but i mean yeah i mean as you know as typical consumers we're we're divorced from that. That's not in our face. You know what I mean? Like, we're not really, we don't have to, like, reckon with that on a daily basis. Is it possible that, like, could you have an entire city of 20 million people? You couldn't have an entire city of 20 million people that lived as hunters. You really couldn't. No. You would need more animals. But could you have an entire city of 20 million people that were vegan? Oh, I th- yeah. I mean, I, I think that... that the amount of land that you need to grow food for vegans is like, you know, I don't know, a fraction, a tiny fraction of the amount of land that, that is required to raise animals for food. Because the animals have to eat a lot of food in order to get to a size. That yeah, you can yeah. Cook I mean, you need them. you need tons of grazing land. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it, like if you go to go to cowspiracy.com and there's a section called facts and they kind of break it all down. It's kind of interesting to look at. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that that the amount of land like. We're producing enough food to feed the planet, really. It's really like an allocation and distribution issue as much as anything. You mean we, because, like America? Well, because, but mo- most of the food that we're growing in the breadbasket of America is going to livestock. Right. It's not going to human beings. You mean like the corn fields? Yeah. Well, they, they're also making that corn that's really not even edible for humans. That, uh, did you see, you saw King Corn. Uh, yeah, I did. It's been amazing. A while, but, um, yeah, amazing, amazing documentary. We're all like made out of corn. It was fucking crazy, know, crazy when they right? when they do the tests on their body and they find out that the carbon <laughs> more corn than human. The carbon in their body is coming from corn, and you find yeah. out how much, th- how many different things at the supermarket. When they went through the supermarket, they looked at all the different things that have corn syrup in it, corn mm. starch, corn 
corn this, corn that. It's like, wow. Right. What? How did that happen? How did they hijack the entire food system? I mean, the, you don't quite need fucking corn, know. you know, like <laughs> all that stuff that they're using corn for is not really necessary, mm -hmm. but you can profit off of it if you own the corn. And if you have some sort of a, a relationship with the government, you can get uh, subs subsidies. And that's what happens. They're, they're being fed off subsidies. That's one of the things that was most disturbing about it. Like, wait a minute, this is so destructive. And this is, a, and you guys couldn't even afford to grow this shit if it wasn't for the government? Like, if the government didn't pay corn farmers, if they didn't have government subsidies, a lot of them would just go under. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're, we're entrenched in this system that is dependent upon these subsidies, right? And so much of our economy, you know, functions in this way. And I think if we really want to change our food system, we have to eradicate these subsidies. And when you look at, you know, look, there's a reason why, I think we talked about this last time, I can't remember. There's a reason why, like, you know, a Taco Bell taco is like whatever it is, like a dollar. 89 cents right. or whatever. And it's like, it's the same price it was when we were 12. <laughs> you know, it's like, how does that work? Right. You know, a McDonald's cheeseburger is like two bucks or whatever it is. But if you factor in, like if you look at it from a meta perspective you, and you take into account all the subsidies, you know, a Big Mac would actually cost something like seven fifty, or, you know, it'd be like a multiple on its price. There's a book called Metanomics by this guy called David Simon, where he, or, uh, I'm sorry, Metanomics, um, and he really breaks down how these subsidies work and how that kind of fuels this food system that really is creating, it, it, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's making the, the, um, the lower socioeconomic class like less and less healthy because it's it's creating this wider gap between healthy living and unhealthy living because in food deserts and urban food deserts where there is no farmers market but there's McDonald's and Jack in the Box on every corner and you know you're on welfare and you got three kids like what are you going to do right you're going to mm -hmm. eat the shitty food mm. this is too cheap to not that's do a it. really good point the, the, that's a really good point as far as the the amount that it costs for these things and that the fact that it's because of subsidies that and a as a result of that we're in this place right now where suddenly health and wellness have become elitist ideals you right. know synonymous with you know spending a ton of money at whole foods and that's crazy are you opposed to eating like chicken eggs like from someone who grows chickens and has them like free-ranging and you know like where like I have chickens that they they lay eggs every day and they're they're essentially my pets i eat i eat my pets food mm -hmm. you know i feed them uh they feed they eat a lot of uh they eat some table scraps but they they a lot of them they eat just free range they run around eat, you know eating stuff in the grass and you know from eating a, bugs and from like an ethical point of view you yeah. Um, if you're raising your own chickens and they're like your pets and they're laying eggs that are not going to be, you know, turn into chickens, then I, I think ethically, I don't really see a problem with that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like they're not going to, you know, they're not going to, they're not, those eggs are not going to turn into chickens. But PETA has this thing on their website about eggs being chicken periods and they're trying to discourage people from eating eggs. Have you ever seen it? Mm -mm. It's hilarious. It's one of those things where it just shows you like the there's there's ethical considerations when it comes to livestock and animals that are they're 
they're rational. They make sense. And then you get into this extreme animal rights ideology where they're trying to twist reality. And so they have like a bloody, a bloody pair of underwear and a chicken. Like here it is. Look at this. Mm. Eggs come from chicken menstruation. So they're frying a bloody pair of underwear in uh, a frying pan. Don't eat eggs. Period. And the word. Period is red, like period blood. I mean, this is I will the say reason why PETA, people... they're very effective at marketing. They know, see, we're, look, we're talking, well, we're talking about it right now. We're talking about how it, retarded right? they are. Yeah. I, I eat seven more so. eggs today just because of these assholes. <laughs> that's not, that's not like effective. I that's think that ridiculous. If, if you're, if, if you have chickens at your home and they're your pets and your kids play with them and they're laying eggs that are not going to turn into chickens and, and you decide that you want to eat those eggs from a, from a morality point of view, like I, how can I, I don't, I don't really see how I could have a big problem with that. Now, if you decide that you want to cut the head off that chicken and fry it up, then, then that's, you then, know, it, then, becomes then it becomes, it beca well, it just becomes a different thing, right? It becomes a different yeah, thing. Yeah, it becomes a yeah. different thing. When was the last time you ate meat? So it's been a while. How I many years? Went vegan and it's been, eight, it's been eight years eight. Now. Well, coming up on nine maybe wow do you yeah. ever smell like your neighbor cooking a steak and you go yeah i mean it's good you know i'm not one of those people who's like oh it repulses me and i want to throw up you know like i got into it for health reasons right and mm -hmm. and you know i listen i've eaten more meat in my lifetime than any human being ever should you know it's <laughs> like i'm not you know i like it you know i drive by mcdonald's or jack-in-the-box and i smell that and that would might disgust some people, but it triggers like this addictive response in me where it's like, I will crave that, you know, because there's so much time has passed between me and eating those foods. I don't have that, that sort of obsessive compulsive thing that kicks in. Like I'm also, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Like I have, I'm, I'm like, you know, I can get addicted to things pretty fucking easy. Mm. Right. So that's part of my thing. Like for me to draw a line, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a line in the sand and say like no more is kind of the way that I have to do it. Right. Because otherwise it, it, it inhabits my consciousness too much. Right. You have to put so, up boundaries or the unsurmountable boundaries. Yeah. Like there are certain diets that say, oh, you can have a cheat day. Right. So it's like if you told me that I could have In-N-Out Burger like once a week, like I would, I would spend six days thinking about the day that I could have In-N-Out <laughs> Burger. You know what I mean? Like, in order to free myself from that prison, I need time away. Right. So, you know, it's it's really powerful with me. Whether it's a cheeseburger or a drink or a drug, you know, and that's just me. You know, that's just my experience. But when I smell that, yeah, it triggers that thing. I'm like, oh, that smells good. But it it passes quickly. But if I was eating those things, I might find myself driving into the drive-thru. You know, Th that's or, an issue with people that have uh, eating disorders, where the, it's almost like the, the 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 desire to have that forbidden food overwhelms their desire to be healthy. It's like that mm -hmm. that it just becomes this thing. Like I've got I've got to itch it. I've got to itch it. I, I'm itchy. I got to scratch it. I can't help it. Yeah, it transcends logic and becomes rational psycho thought. It becomes yeah. psychological. It becomes a psychological issue, way more than it is a physiological issue. It's it it's almost beyond psychology, though. Mm. Like it's so embedded. Right. You know? I mean, for anybody who's truly like an addict or an alcoholic, like it it goes to the core. Mm -hmm. You know, there is no overriding it. When that kicks in, it's just it's happening. I had a friend who was on the Atkins diet, my friend Eddie Bravo. He was on the Atkins diet, 
and he would uh, do it for six days a week. And then midnight on Saturday night, that motherfucker would go off the rails like a runaway train piloted by a meth addict. Oh my God! He right. Would so go what crazy. do you what do you intuit from what do you intuit from that? Right. Like well, he's he building lost up, a lot of weight. He's he building great. up all week. Yes. You know? So it worked though. But why would you? I'm not saying that an Atkins diet is a healthy diet because I don't think it is. But but what's wrong with an Atkins diet, if you could say so, from an well, expert perspective? I mean, I'm not a nutritional scientist you know or, a lot. or a doctor. Okay. You, but I would, to... you know, I would say that 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 um, a diet that's super focused on basically excluding anything with any carbohydrates in it and eating foods that are devoid of any fiber, which I think is really important. We talk about protein a lot, but I think most people, I think that conversation should really be about fiber. Like nobody's protein deficient. I think 3% of the population is protein deficient. Most Americans are fiber deficient though. We just don't eat enough vegetables. But is the Atkins so, diet fiber deficient? I mean, they, they tell, you can eat broccoli. I think that they... I think that there's a there is a focus on on like meat and dairy products, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I mean I'm not an expert on the on the Atkins diet, Achieving but it's all ketosis. about sort of yeah, it's like being in ketosis, and you know that's a very you know hot button thing, and you know there are people that are all about like being in ketosis, and my understanding of that is that it's kind of a crisis state for the human body. It's not a natural state of being. It's sort mm -hmm. of like what your body has to do when it's being deprived of other nutrients to be in this state. Like you put these acid ketones in your body, which then are converted to some form of glucose because you're so glucose deprived, right? Our brains right. run on glucose. Our bodies mm -hmm. need glucose. You know, if you look at, look at, you know, the longest living pockets, the pockets of civilization across the world where people live the longest and are the healthiest and are the happiest, like the blue zones. You've heard of the blue zones, mm -hmm. right? So Dan Buettner, who's the guy who traveled all these places, He's a friend of mine. He's an amazing guy. You should have him on the podcast. He's amazing. What's his name? Dan Buettner. B-U-E-T-T-N-E-R. He's a National Geographic fellow. He's so impressive. He's... What's his... His... Well, he's the guy who wrote the Blue Zones books. So he was like a global adventurer who set like three world records, like cycling across the, the planet, doing all these crazy things. Whoa. and, and he Cycling? Became, well, he rode his bike across Africa, like north to south, I think. What the fuck? He rode across Russia. Like when it, this was when he was younger. And then, uh, you know, he became interested in indigenous populations. He started working with National Geographic. He became a writer. And, uh, and in his travels, he became obsessed with you know, finding places where people are the happiest, live the longest, free of disease, et cetera. And that ultimately became what are today known as the blue zones, like these, like these little sort of hidden pockets in the planet that are kind of untouched from the gestalt of our modern society. And, you know, they're little tiny places kind of off the beaten path. You know, Ikaria, which is like an island off the coast of Turkey, Sardinia, Okinawa, and ironically, uh, Loma Linda here, like not too far from here in Southern Loma California, Linda, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, and that's how's a, that work? It's a cultural thing because um, it's a community of Seventh Day Adventists, oh. and it's a very strong faith-based community that also basically subsists on a plant-based diet. And they Good live in, they live incredibly long. There you go. So 
the Seventh Day Advent Adventists. How do you say it? Seventh Day Adventists. Adventists. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. sounds a, it's a weird word. They are like you say a, it even if you're saying it correctly, it seems like you're doing it wrong. Adventists. It's a very strong, you know, faith-based community, and they plant-based diet. They, yeah, yeah, moderate so, physical activity, social engagement. Social engagement is important too. Huge. It's huge, and 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 so so from from studying these cultures, he extracted certain kind of guiding principles about how they live their life. Mm. Um, and one of them, to get back to the question about kind of Atkins and, and diet is, you know, they all eat a very starchy, um, you know, fiber rich, essentially plant-based diet. It doesn't mean they're all vegans, like they eat a little bit of meat, but essentially their diet is, is founded upon starchy vegetables Look for at- the most part. And, and community and accountability and kind of keeping your elders around and all these sorts of things have really, you know, distinguishes them as, uh, you know, from the way that we've live our lives now, right? Like, you know, we're just, we're, we're isolated, we're fast paced, mm-hmm. all these sorts of, you know, kind of principles upon which we navigate our day are just very divorced from the way that these people are living. I love that it says empowered women. Empowered women is uh, a factor in age. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fascinating. I wonder what that's about. A big part of it too. I had Dan on my podcast, so if people are listening, they can they can check him out. He's great. But he, uh, a big part of it too is um, is having purpose, like mm. sort of identifying early on in your life, uh, you know, what your purpose is and and serving that purpose. And these people don't retire. You know, they're just they're sort of you know living and and continuing to be productive like way later in life than we're used to seeing. Enjoying your time here and that positive energy that's attached to enjoying your time here sustains your existence in a much better way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sort of sort of low-grade exercise. These people, you know, they're always moving. You know, they're not out running. They're not on mm-hmm. the treadmill, but they're in their garden, and they're walking to their friend's house, and, you know, they're very engaged with their community, you know, they're constantly in, in a very active. intimate way. Yeah. Do you know I had uh, Aubrey de Grey on the other day, who's a life extension scientist is, uh, at the forefront of the various technologies mm-hmm. that are being developed to extend life. He said the difference between uh, the average and these uh, cultures where they live far longer is four years. Hmm. That's the, you know, the, this big goal that everybody's trying to attain, like live like these people that live the, the longest. And that's four years. Mm-hmm. The four, there's a four year difference. Right. Well, I think, you know, in these blue zones, they have the highest percentage per capita of centenarians, like people living mm-hmm. older than 100. But I think it's less about that age than it is about the quality of, of your years. Right? right. Like, you know, listen, go to the airport and look at how many people are like in wheelchairs and, you know, on walkers and stuff like that. People that are not old. Go to Disneyland. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. You ever go to it's Disneyland? You see the people insane. on scooters yeah. overflowing out of the side of the scooters with their legs and their gut and just... Whew. Right. So right now in America, you know, w- we can split hairs over, you know, should you take fish oil or not? Or is it OK for you to eat the eggs from your chicken in your backyard? But mm-hmm. the truth is, this is not the problem that we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about the fact that one out of every three Americans is going to die of a heart attack. And 70 percent of Americans are obese or overweight. And they're predicting that by... 2030, 50% of Americans are going to be diabetic or pre-diabetic. Like, what? Just think about that. What? Is that yes. real? Mm-hmm. By 2030, 50% of Americans are going to be diabetic, diabetic or, or pre-diabetic. pre-diabetic. 
diabetes Holy is fucking shit. Insane. That's insane. One, one out of every three people is going to die of heart disease. Wow. Heart disease is a lifestyle and foodborne illness. Yeah. It doesn't have to exist. And we're in this place right well, I mean, now where it's sort of like some congenital versions. There, of it, there, but, there is for sure. But, but that's not worth. But if you about. look back through the, you know, the sort of history of mankind, there are plenty of populations that existed for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years without any significant incidence of heart disease. Mm. You know, especially in you know rural areas of China. You know, for long time, long years until we started exporting our our diet and lifestyle overseas, and now, you know, it's sort of like the latest installment of the Avengers. You know, we're sending these fast food restaurants to these places, and they're having, they're having, and and as the sort of ascension of the middle class in China, you know, continues, and and they can afford to, you know, sort of purchase more meat products, they're having heart problem. They're having disease problems that they've they haven't seen you know it's unprecedented in the history of their culture so it seems also there's a real issue with human beings when it comes to patterns of behavior and habit that they're very very difficult to break and uh like as you were saying before like if you could have a day where you could cheat that mm -hmm. day that would become the habit and then it would just you would be thinking about that one day like it's very hard for people who are extremely obese who just their their main form of pleasure is mouth right. pleasure. Of course, they get that it's food, hardwired. They stuff it in their face, and then that's what they oh, that oh man that, that fucking corn dog so good, and that's that's where they're getting their pleasure from. It's hard to deviate from that. It's hard to change your patterns. Yeah, you you are managing your emotional well being through the food choices that you make that you make. And there, good way of putting a, um, it. There's a great book called Salt Sugar Fat by this guy called Michael Morris. And he kind of looks at these big food companies and draws an analogy to the tobacco companies in the 70s in the way that these companies are funneling money and research and marketing dollars into devising food products that are specifically designed to activate that pleasure center in your brain, right? So that they know, they're like, they're trying to make that food impossible for you to just have one. And once you kind of, you know, tap into that, that um, you know ability to trigger that response in somebody, and you create a habit out of that, an addictive response, then you have a customer for life, right? You know, it's like, why is it so hard to eat one fucking chip? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason behind that. There's something about the 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 proportion of of salt and and grease, you know, that will just trigger something in somebody. Do you know though there's so, a feeling that you have when you do indulge in some really shitty food that you you have you're a, just like Ugh. after it's over you feel like such a loser. <laughs> right. If I eat but, so, like a bag of chips, yeah, you go into a shame spiral. Mhm. Mm I feel angry at myself. Like, you fucking dummy, eat a bag of chips. I know, but when I'll eat a whole bag of chips. But when you're doing too. it, you're like <clears throat> I can't even know. help myself. It's hard. I'm like a greedy greedy monster. Like um I, I you know what I real I have a I have a real uh, weakness for those uh, salt, sea salt and vinegar potato chips. Uh -huh. Good God, they're yeah. good. The real the thick ones. The kettle chip yeah, ones. Yeah, that's what I'm I talking know. about. Oh, they're so good. And you look at the bag and it says non-GMO on the front. You're like, oh, oh okay. non-GMO. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Right. I don't want a GMO potato. Mm -hmm. I mean, are there even GMO potatoes? I don't, you don't I, have to. I don't, potatoes I don't, last a long time. I don't think so. You don't need to. Right? Yeah. 
storm heading correctly. In, heading in that direction, though. Do you eat potato chips? That's my guilty pleasure. Oh, it's tough. Yeah. The kettle chips are tough. Fucking real hard, right? You know? I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> vegan. You know. <laughs> I yeah, try not to. Vegan can be bad. But, I have a friend uh, who's vegan. He's fat as fuck. Well, it's never been easier. <laughs> it's never been easier to be an unhealthy vegan. I mean, you just walk the aisles at Whole Foods mm -hmm. or Erwan. Like, you know, there's so many vegan, you know, ice creams now and and like Pasta. You know, sort of meat alternatives and Pasta sauce. things that are tasty. Yeah, and spaghetti so, is totally vegan if and you, you can, get it from the right place. Oh, oh yeah. Without egg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's plenty of options now. And so um just because you you're vegan that doesn't mean that you're you're eating a healthy diet. For sure. You know, that's important I think for for people to understand. Yeah. And there's a lot of people also that think that drinking juice, drinking fruit juice is really good for you. Be careful about that, folks, because like you're not supposed to. If you drink like a quart of orange juice, that's not how that juice is supposed to get to your body. The way the juice is supposed to get to your body is by eating a fucking orange. Exactly. When, yeah. When you drink like a a quart of pineapple juice, like what a fucking shock of sugar to your system. Just because it's attached to fruit, which we uh, assume rightly so is healthy. Just have some goddamn fruit. Drink some water while you're having a big plate of pineapple, and you'll be way better off than exactly. drinking pineapple juice. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, we were talking about fiber. It's like, why would you remove all the fiber yes, from that plant? Exactly. I think juicing has its place, though, but there's a, there's a huge difference between that gallon of Tropicana at the grocery store and cold pressing, you know, some kale and spinach with some turmeric in it. You know, that's like, different. You know what I mean? Like, I think it doesn't that, have the sugar. Yeah, and the it's, sugar's the real issue. You right? can get it's. I, I look at it as medicinal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if you want a, a really concentrated dose of of uh, you know micronutrients and you know the kinds of um, highly compacted vitamins and minerals that you can get in some of these foods, these plants, then it has its place. But but to, you know, run 20 oranges through a juicer and drink that, you're, you're getting a huge amount of sugar in that. And you're depriving yourself of the digestive process and the fiber that comes with just eating the whole food. Like, nature figured it out, man. Like, yeah. why are you trying to, you know, it's just like, the more you focus on eating these kinds of foods close to their natural state, your palate changes and you start to desire them. Like, I know these guys that are, uh, that are fruitarian. Like, they, all they eat is fruit. Like this is their whole lifestyle, right? It's called the 80-10-10 diet, 80% carbs, 10% uh, protein, 10% fat. But essentially what it means is they eat fruit all day long. That's, mm -hmm. it. That's it. Totally raw. They'll eat like 30 bananas a day. I've heard and, of these uh, guys. Right. And so, so, you know, somebody who is from the Atkins ketosis low-carb camp will tell you that that's an extremely unhealthy thing to do. Now, I'm not a fruitarian. I don't have any direct experience with that. I don't know what the long-term ramifications of, of living that lifestyle are. But I do know uh, people that live this way, and they're super healthy people, and some of them are amazing athletes. Like my friend Michael Arnstein, he's fruitarian. He has been forever, uh, and he was like the fifth fastest guy at the New York City Marathon not too many years ago, like, a, like an elite athlete, you know, who's eating this way. That's interesting. Literally, he'll, he has to eat so much fruit that he has like two giant extra refrigerators in his house and he would have to drive this big truck to like a fruit wholesaler once a week. And like the guy at the wholesaler thought that he had like a bodega a or something like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
because he couldn't believe how much fruit this guy was buying, you know? One of the UFC fighters eats like that. I, think, I believe mm. Nate Diaz eats like that. I think he's on the 30 bananas oh, a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, but that uh, didn't work. He got his ass kicked as well. Yeah, time. I mean, Mac, Mac Danzig was playing around with it for a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's still on it, but people that I've talked to who have like dabbled in it say that when they're doing it, they feel amazing. And these and, people are trim and they don't have, you know, look, they're not getting diabetes and they're, they're getting a, a tremendous amount of glucose. They're also getting a huge amount of fiber and they're still meeting their protein needs, which right. is interesting. So when I look at that, it just makes me, you know, it gives me a different perspective on this obsession that we have with protein. Like everyone's walking around worried about, you know, meeting their protein needs. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that, you know, the average semi-sedentary person is is eating two to five times the, the recommended daily allowance of protein. Like, it's just, it's a non-issue. It's really kind of a red herring. I should clarify that Nate Diaz uh, was probably injured. I think there was something wrong with him in his last fight. So it had nothing to do with his diet. I'm just fucking around. Mm -hmm. And uh, he also fought Rafael Dos Anjos, which is one of the best fighters in the world, was the current champion. So his diet, I'm sure, had nothing to do with him losing. But um, is there higher dietary requirements of protein for people that, like, say, compete in powerlifting or things along those lines? And are there any powerlifters that are vegan? There is a guy uh, called Patrick Baboumian. Uh, he's a German dude, German strongman. This dude is... The human wolverine he's insane and i i had the privilege i made a youtube video of it maybe you guys can pull it up um, i was on stage with him at a, an event in toronto a couple of years ago where he attempted to break a guinness book of world record by being by carrying more weight than any other human being ever had he put 1200 pounds on a chassis that he carried he had to carry it 10 meters and he accomplished it it was extraordinary. And the guy's totally vegan. Wow. Pull that up. Didn't that guy, the mountain from Game of Thrones, just break that, though? I think he did like oh, did 1,600 he? pounds. Yeah. He, um, he's like one of the strongest men in the world. The guy oh, who's the in dude, the... he's going to be Aquaman, that guy? No, no, no. He's, he's the mountain in the Game of Thrones. In he's the... from Iceland. I, I'm a little he's bit behind. Enormous, enormous man. Yeah, yeah, Okay, oh, here's the go. guy. Yeah, check it Pull, out. Go full screen on that. Can you or will it fuck us up? Our video is all fucking weird here because we do it off a of TriCaster. Oh, yeah, oh I got to yeah, tell yeah. you, I met one of the guys that works at TriCaster. We're hooked up. Look at this guy. So that's 1,200 pounds. Yeah. Why does it's, it not look kinda, like 1,200 pounds? It's kind of dark. That doesn't um, look like 1,200 pounds. It definitely is. There are all these people there verifying it and they have How all the these scales and shit. How the fuck is that 1,200 pounds? That doesn't seem like it's 1,200 pounds. Why, is that, uh, why does that look so light? I assure you that it was. How dare you? How dare you lie to me about <laughs> that? That's like 50 pounds. Is it? Do you guys right. grade it on a scale because he's vegan? Like it's not really twelve hundred pounds. Twelve hundred oh, yeah. pounds like dog For ears. A, a vegan, <laughs> vegan twelve hundred pounds, which is one hundred and twenty pounds. Well, he's enormous. That guy um, is a he fucking is. giant. Yeah, and yeah. So well, whatever it is, like that guy got all that muscle from being a vegan. Right. Like right. a bull. Yeah. Like and bulls he, eat grass. You know, he he hasn't been a vegan his entire life. You know, so it's not like you know he was reared that way. But I think he's been he's been that way long enough, and he will tell you that. His strength training improved, and his agility and his ability to recover uh, was significantly enhanced when he changed yeah, his diet to mountain. this. Yeah, so. here's a thousand-year-old oh, wow. weightlifting record. Yeah, he put this oh, fucking cool. huge log on his back. That guy's enormous. <laughs> what a terrifying! Yeah, human it's a thing. different. Uh, it's a different animal, especially Iceland. There's something about Iceland. You ever see that there. Vice piece on Iceland? The no. strongmen of Iceland. Yeah, the Vice did a whole video on it. Like, apparently, the people in Iceland, they have a long history of being, like, strongman competitors mm. for whatever reason. Mm. 
Yeah, there's fucking giant dudes out there, former Vikings or something. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, your, to your point, your question was, you know, do you think that somebody who's of that ilk or, you know, like a power lifter or a strength athlete, if, if their protein requirements are, are higher? Um, I don't know. I know that Patrick supplements with plant-based protein powders from time to time. Um, I don't know that, you know, he, he probably is taking in somewhere between... 80 to 100 grams a day. Pea so protein. It's, it's not, yeah, like pre, pea, brown rice, hemp protein. I like hemp protein. I think it's great. Um, complete amino acid profile. I mean, essentially, look, it's complicated, right? It's not, we can't be reductionist about it. But in the most general sense, when we're talking about protein, we're talking about amino acids, right? We're talking about the building blocks of protein. And we're specifically talking about the nine amino acids, you know, the essential amino acids that, that we can't synthesize on our own, that we have to get from the foods that we eat, right? So, so it's a question of making sure that we are ingesting those nine essential amino acids, right? Mm-hmm. So does it matter where they come from, in what form, you know, they, they are delivered to your body? Does it matter if it's in hemp or if it's in steak? We don't know. We don't, yeah, we right. don't know. All I can tell you is that you know, I seem to be doing okay with it. So, and I can just share my experience with it. That's all. Yeah. There's, um, there was that issue where Travis Barker was in that plane crash. Do you know that story? Travis um, Barker, the drummer. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see, him, a, yeah, I see him at Juicy Ladies all the time. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> in the neighborhood. He, uh, he was in a plane crash and had to get skin grafts and got off of his vegan diet because of that, like he was having a hard time healing and started eating meat and he healed much quicker. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hadn't heard that. Um, but that's pretty one of those sure things. he's pretty sure he's, you know, he's 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 pretty hardcore vegan. He's partner in that restaurant Crossroads. Have you been to Crossroads? No, where's you know, that? It's a phenomenal restaurant. Yeah, yeah, Is that yeah. A vegan restaurant. It's in it's in Hollywood. Yeah, but it's Tal Ronan, who's the chef there, is mm-hmm. a mastermind. He's a genius, and the food is extraordinary. You should check it out. Okay, um, I'm, I'm just say, stating what I heard, uh, what mm-hmm. I read. Yeah, I don't know. I don't about him don't, after uh, the accident. I hadn't heard that. Is there any properties that would exist in, in flesh, blood, and eating meat that would somehow or another benefit you recovering from an injury? Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, that, that would expedite that process. I mean, there are, there's a difference between the way I feel when I eat, like, wild game versus the way I feel when I eat steak that's, like, raised, factory-raised steak or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's just a difference in the way your body reacts to it. Like mm-hmm. your, your body has like there's a there's a feeling that you eat, especially like moose. Moose is very unusual for whatever reason. When you eat moose, you get this like you almost feel like it's a stimulant. It's very strange. Mm. Like when you eat rare, because you, you eat it rare, it's very lean, and there's this weird like woo, like you get a charge after it. Very similar to what I get when I eat kale shakes. When I when I eat kale shakes, one of the things that I tell people. Um, if you want to change your diet, like here's one of the best ways. Eat something healthy, get a positive reaction from that, and you want to repeat it. And one of the best positive reactions I've ever gotten is I drink these kale shakes in the morning. I'm, I call them Hulk loads. So yeah. I talk about it all the time. Uh-huh. It's kale, uh, cucumber, celery, a uh, large chunk of ginger, uh, four cloves of garlic, coconut oil, and an apple. Blend that sucker up together, and there is a nutrient blast that you get in there. That it's a tangible, uh, stimulant sort of a feeling. Like I get, I feel stimulant. 
yeah, that'll get it done, right? Yeah. And and that's what I say to people all the time. They're like, I'm like, look, man, don't worry about whether you're going to do this all the way or what you're going to do tomorrow. Just like wake up and drink that salad for breakfast mm-hmm. and make that connection with how you feel because truly nothing will make you feel better in the morning than drinking a super nutrient-dense green shake. Yeah, It's just, you know, I mean, whether it has, you know, you can have variations on a theme. Like I do something similar. It's a little bit different and it's never the same. You know, I change it from day to day or whatever. But once you make that connection and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, then that starts to change the microbial ecology in your gut. Yeah. You know? That's, that's interesting, isn't it? And the, and the, and I think we talked about this last time too, like all these studies that are coming out about how important your microbiome is to all kinds of things that impact your health and and how and how there's some evidence to suggest that the quality of your gut biome uh, can impact your cravings right oh for sure so sugar when you have that's that's a real issue with sugar right? so when people say well I just crave this you know my body's telling me that I need it well that's not an objective analysis right just because you crave something that doesn't mean that your body needs it Right. It might, you know what I mean? Maybe it, it might. does. It might, but it but might I, not. But if I, yeah, exactly, right? So how do you discern between the two? Yeah, that's an interesting you know? point. Um, well, that's absolutely a fact when it comes to uh, gut microbes, when it comes to sugar, that if you feed those microbes a lot of sugar, they become dependent upon it. And they, yeah, they, they need want it to it. survive. And so they're, they're impulsing you. I need more of that. Isn't I need that bizarre? more of that. And then you're in this cycle. So they analyzed the gut biome of people that are like chocoholics, right? And it was very different from people that are ambivalent about chocolate. That's such a bizarre thing that you could have these organisms living inside your intestinal tract that are actually changing the way you crave things. So they're sending some sort of stimulus that gets to your brain, and it's altering the way you, 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 you want food in your body well it's an assault to your idea that you're a sentient human being who Mm. is in control of your thoughts and then that leads to you know the question of higher consciousness versus you know the sort of looping you know kind of uh thing that your brain can do right like what is that you know when you observe your own thoughts what is it that you're who's the observer right you know what i mean like so yeah Right. Yeah, so we, you we can say, go down that rabbit hole, stupid, but, uh, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're having a dream and you're having mm-hmm. a conversation with somebody in a dream and you're surprised at what somebody tells you, but you're imagining that, right? Right. So, cause you didn't know in your dream that that person was going to say that thing to you. But on some level, obviously you did. Well, that's the complex nuances of creativity, so, right? For sure. And, and the complex nuances of just consciousness, yes. you know? Yeah. The idea that there could be microbes in your body that are stimulating and changing the way your brain functions is so, that, that seems so alien to people because we like to think of ourselves as autonomous. Right. But we're not. We, we're, we're, we're far more microbe than human. Way I more. mean, the percentage, I don't know, I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's ridiculous. Like, mm. like the, the number of, of microorganisms like trumps the number of cells you have in your body by like a factor of you know, some, I don't know if it's 10 or something crazy. Well, there's more E. coli living in your gut than there have ever been people ever. (laughs) That's, that's real. Uh Those are real numbers. There's also, um, and it's not, it's not, you know, you have to have a healthy symbiotic relationship with this, right? Like you need it to live. It's part of being healthy. 
Yeah, we talked about this, I believe, last time, various forms of probiotics that you engage in. Uh, sauerkraut, I think you said one of yeah, them. Yeah, kimchi. kimchi. I love kimchi. Kimchi's great. Kom- love that stuff. Kombu- Boy, my wife fucking yeah, hates it, though. Yeah, good. Says it makes me smell tough shit. Yeah, kombucha. I love that stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what pisses me off, man? That they, they fucking, that uh, GT's kombucha had to pull the, the really good stuff and put that watered down horse shit because it's more than one half of 1% alcohol right. because of the fermentation process tiny, and the microbes. Yeah, tiny trace of fermentation that like left a little bit of alcohol in it that caused this whole thing. And they had to pull, oh. it, they had to pull everything. We, we Nanny started, state. We started making our own. Have you ever made your own kombucha? Yes, I did. Kombucha? So you have the big scoby. I've been in a kombucha drink since 94 oh wow and when i started drinking it um andy dick turned me on to it and andy dick uh-huh. gave me a fucking uh, a slab of uh, kombucha uh, fungus to uh. take home and i got a bowl <laughs> and i started brewing it in my refrigerator and, that's uh, og yeah. man old OG. school that was long before and you know gts or anybody oh, was yeah. doing this oh you couldn't buy it i used to uh i used to have a bowl like a huge salad bowl in my refrigerator with a fucking living fungus in it and i would have the saran wrap on it and there was sugar and stuff in the bowl i forget what, I, what uh-huh. the ingredients were and it would feed off of that and i would leave it in there for a certain amount of time and then pour it into a glass and drink it it's great yeah but it was too much of a pain in the ass and then um somewhere in the late 90s i started finding it in stores and then uh, i got into it but now you mean i have a bunch here it's everywhere i don't i don't go i mean i drink it every day mm-hmm. and when i go on the road um, most of the times, I'll, I'll find a Whole Foods and uh, I'll stock up on it and leave it in my hotel room. I think it's probiotics are so. Hu- I am very rarely sick. I mean, very rarely. And I travel a lot. And one of the things that I attribute that to is probiotics. I think that you really. It's one of the unsung heroes of the immune system that people don't take into consideration. The the symbiotic relationship that we have with all these weird microorganisms that you ingest. Mm-hmm. And the more of those you have, the mo- the less deficits you have uh, in terms of your nutritional intake, and the more um, more positive microbes and positive bioorganisms that you take into your body, the more you're going to have, the whole system's going to function better and you're going to be able to fight off immune or fight off um, disease better. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The example that I always give, I think I might have shared this last time. I'm not sure. It was the last time. It was a long time ago, by the way. Probably nobody saw that anyway. But um, the example (laughs) that I always give is is from Supersize Me, the Morgan Spurlock documentary Mm -hmm. where he decides he's going to eat McDonald's for 30 days straight. And for people that saw the movie, um, you might remember that, you know, a couple days in into this experiment, you know, he just he can't imagine how he's going to make it through 30 days. Like, yeah. it's just, he, and there's that scene where he's in the car and he actually vomits out the window after he <laughs> drinks a milkshake or something like that. And he's just like, this is the worst. And then and then fast forward like two weeks later and there's a scene where he's like waking up in the morning and he's like. I feel so sick. He's like, I feel terrible. He's like, let's go to McDonald's, you know, for his breakfast. (laughs) And then he eats, he eats his whatever he ate for breakfast at McDonald's that morning. And like, he walks out and he's like, I feel awesome. (laughs) You know, like he had to get, there's like, yeah, he had to get his fix. And so, you know, what I see in that is somebody whose microbiome has adjusted. Mm -hmm. He has replaced, because at the time, his girlfriend uh, was a vegan chef, right? So he was coming off of eating essentially, a, you know, plant-based diet. Goes into this McDonald's thing, and by virtue of you know bombarding his system with McDonald's food, 
uh, he re- he repopulates his gut biome with the kind of microorganisms that feed off McDonald's food, right? So suddenly, you know, because those microorganisms are on the food that you're eating, right? And then they seed into your gut and then they start to propagate. And suddenly he's craving these foods that were making him sick two weeks earlier that he couldn't imagine continuing to eat. That's the weirdest thing about diet is you're essentially creating a civilization in your body. Mm-hmm. And it's a trip. It really is. It really, I mean, you're, you are... You're, you're a super organism. You are a container. And human beings are the microbiome of the planet Earth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good sign that our, our Earth is sick. When you check out our we're, ocean. We're an unhealthy <laughs> gut bacteria for the planet. In a lot of ways. I mean, it really is. It's almost like, it's almost like everything behaves in this sort of fractal manner where, you know, the, the bigger you get... Like, I mean, and the Earth itself is probably, you know, a microbe in in the greater sense Mm -hmm. of the galaxy, which is a microbe in the greater sense of the universe. And it's all sort of connected in some weird way. And the lower you get down to gut microbes and how you fuel those gut microbes and how it impacts the the health of the actual superorganism itself, the human being, Mm -hmm. is really fascinating. It really is. It really is when you you stop and think about it, because very few people think of themselves as being a host for life. Like I am just this, I'm just trying to keep my garden healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, the garden of my body, which is filled. No, you think of it, I am rich roll. I am this one. I am mm-hmm. the one, I am one. I am one thing, but you're not, no one is one thing. But the brain thinks it's one thing, which is a fucker, man. It's what mm-hmm. a weird thing that your brain doesn't realize, hey, you know, um, I, I'm getting all these signals to eat McDonald's because I've got all these weird asshole McDonald's bacteria living in my gut. And what I need to do, I need to get some cucumber bacteria down in there to fuck with the McDonald's bacteria. It's very, it's a very fascinating thing to be a human being and to be completely disconnected from that reality without ex- externally taking it in in the form of education and knowledge and then having to internalize it, having to think about it and go, okay, I need to take into consideration that I am not just a one. I am a container for all these different organisms. And the the amount of positive organisms will directly affect the way the brain works. Fuck. Mm-hmm. That's, hard, that's hard to think, man. That's hard to, hard to wrap your head around. Then factor in the emotional override that takes over, that compels you to take an action irrespective of the logical choice mm. after you've been educated. Sure. Because I think that's you know, equally as powerful, if not more powerful. Yeah, and, and oftentimes that can be adjusted, all of it can be adjusted with momentum. If you can just, sh- sh- just fucking force yourself into a pattern that's more positive, just somehow or another say, okay, you know, like some people say, I'm going to start training for a marathon. I'm going to start on Monday and Monday I'm going to run, uh, you know, two miles and then, you know, um, we're going to, I'm going to be on the system of recovery and this is what I'm going to do. And you're going to go into training. I'm going to start a training camp. It's all written down. And if you can do that, if you can do that with your diet, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me 
and said, I have lost a tremendous amount of weight since listening to your podcast because I started incorporating kale shakes into my diet. That's my primary breakfast is a kale shake and it changed everything. I, can't, I mean, I, I'm mm -hmm. talking about hundreds. It's almost like a joke. Like I run into people and they go, dude, I lost 100 pounds from your podcast. Okay, another right. guy. It's almost like a joke. Like oh, you guys dude. are all. I mean, you tweeted out that I was coming on the podcast and there's like 50, you know, comments after that about Hulk loads. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all about the Hulk load. Well, I added beats to the Hulk loads because of you. Yeah. You, oh, you uh, did? You recommended. Yeah. Beats, yeah. Are, beats will get you out of bed in the morning. Beats are fantastic. That's a that's a, the ultimate like pre-workout boost. What a nutrient rich plant that is or root that uh, is. They're amazing. Just like the first time you do it though, don't freak out the first time you take a dump. <laughs> I know, be right? all bloody red. <laughs> like, no, oh, no, I'm dying. Like, oh. oh, I beats. Oh, I yeah, I'm, you know what's crazy I've is actually done you that. go to the you go to the store and you get you get the beets right and you put them on the thing and like unless you say otherwise they they're gonna cut the the beet greens off and throw them away mm. and like that's the good stuff man. It's also good as well. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely good as well. I mean, I don't know why people don't think that that's edible. Isn't that strange? It's like we just have this idea that we we're very rigid and mm -hmm. like our idea like what you eat and what you don't eat like that. Just throw that out. Chop that off. Oh, beet greens are awesome. Yeah, they don't taste bad. Yeah. It's not like it's a. Uh, it's weird. You don't. You never see a beet green salad. Mm -hmm. That's not. That's you not do, common. You do at our house, Joe Rogan. Whoa, Rich Roll just <laughs> called me out. Um, what are what are some other like? I mean, here's a funny thing that I fucking saw the other day at Whole Foods. Bok choy is the new kale. How uh -huh. about it's bok choy, you fucks? That's good too. It's not it's the marketing. new kale. It's just marketing. But what is, what is that? Why do people have to do that? Why have they ruin everything with their nonsense? It's just you know, orange is the new a, black. We live in a commercial. No. You know, we live in a commercial society, right? Mm. They got to push something else out there. I don't know. You know, it's the same thing that you know. There's a you know why Buzzfeed Buzzfeed is always you know. There's crazy headlines about crazy stuff that's inflammatory and right. you know, whatever. Clickbait. You know, it's like. Exactly. Yeah. Do you grow your own vegetables? That's our next um, thing that we're looking into. And uh, we have a bunch of land, so oh, yeah? it's underutilized. And, and so we've just started meeting with a bunch of people to start start growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've been so. doing that for a while now at my house. And it's, uh, it's very rewarding to have mm -hmm. like a, we had a, a cucumber salad the other day, cucumber and tomato salad. It was so good. It was it's like good, this, yeah. this, I saw <clears throat> this when it was a fucking seed in a little container and put it in the dirt and. Um, what do you use for fertilizer? Oh, you don't grow, so you don't have like. A yeah, yeah. We're, we're. I mean, you know, we'll we'll get into that once we start growing. But the one thing that we are doing, which is fucking awesome, is uh, we started. Um, we have we have all these uh, beehives now. We have like forty oh. hives at our house um, that we're hosting for a friend who is like an organic beekeeper who creates his own honey. And that's been super interesting also for the kids to like learn about, you know, what that's all about. I mean, that is so interesting. Like that's cool. That works, which is really cool. I want to do that. And yeah. I also, I was thinking about doing that. I was like, God, it's a lot of work. Got to bring in a fucking beehive guy and all that. But I found out about this new invention yeah, that yeah. this guy in Australia has created. Mm -hmm. You've seen it? The, well, the tap. It's the yeah. He had like the craziest Kickstarter of all time. Yeah, right? like, yeah. He I raised, retweeted like, it. He re he raised like insane millions of dollars. He was only trying to raise like a hundred grand or two hundred grand or something, and he raised like <laughs> four million dollars in like no time because it's in, his invention is so astounding. Well, I was definitely a part of that because when I got it, it wasn't nearly that much. I I, I tweeted the shit out of that. I thought it was amazing. Oh, it's so a you take tap. You, you you actually. 
probably had a lot to do with him raising all that I had money. A, a little bit of something. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people reacted mm-hmm. the way I... Well, look, the 100% of what had to do with it was this invention is amazing. 12 million! Holy yeah, 12 shit! 12 million. Dude, when I looked at it, I, I swear to God, I don't think it was more than a couple hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I think I looked, I looked at it maybe... A couple of weeks ago, and I think it was like at four, <laughs> which is a lot. That's amazing, you know. But, but it just shows how cool it is. Yeah. Well, so a good idea. You well, know? let's play it because it's really amazing. If anybody hasn't heard, well, you know, the people that are listening, you're you're only going to hear it. But this guy's invented a beehive that essentially has uh, there's. A, a, a dial that you can turn, and the dial changes the honeycombs into a flow pattern. It actually opens up, and then the honey drips down slowly into these jars. It doesn't disturb the bees. It doesn't disturb any of the, the normal, natural processes that these bees you know, engage in to make honey. And it's so much less invasive. And when you see it, if you go to the video, it's called Flow Hive. If you go to the video online, it'll do a much better job of explaining how all this is made. But it's uh, it's really fucking cool. Right. It's Indiegogo, right? It's an Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. But it, you don't get the bee pollen, and uh, you don't get the uh, the actual honeycomb itself, which I like to eat. I love that stuff. Yeah. I mean, the idea is that you're not disturbing the bees, right? Yeah. You're not really invading their... You're not impeding on their kind of habitat. To Was that make honey, honey vegan now? Because honey wasn't vegan for a long time. I mean, look, there are there is a hardcore you know vegan perspective that that honey you know you shouldn't eat honey. It's right. an animal product. Um, but it's not. And, and I respect people that have that opinion. I mean, I think that you know my perspective on it is is that you know our bee populations are threatened. And mm-hmm. because of, you know, human, human beings mostly, being yeah. fucking idiots and, you know, we've we've fucked a lot of shit up. Right. Cell and, phones, and, too. Right. And so I think that that, you know, w- our family is trying to be of service by helping foster, you know, cu- the cultivation of bee populations in a, you know, in a sustainable way, like by being by getting involved. You know, there's one there's one school of thought, like we'll leave it alone. Right. But this is a this is a threatened, you know, population that needs a little bit of you know graceful intervention mm-hmm. in order to help help them you know foster their population. So to the extent that you know I can play a small part in that, I think that's a cool thing. No, I think that's a cool thing as well, and I and I agree. There's there's that the very hardcore. Uh, segment of the vegan population that don't think that you should eat honey, but they don't have it like this. You know, this is like normally when you get honey, it's like this really complicated process. You have to pull the the hives out. You have to scrape the honey off and and, and extract it in that way. Mm-hmm. This is it's totally different. Right. This is a different animal. Yeah, I mean, commercial hive. honey production. You know, there's practices involved with that that are harmful to those insects, right? So right. to the extent that you can find a better way to do it, um, where you're still, you know, able to harvest the honey in a way that that is not, you know, kind of overly tapping into what they need to survive and, and thrive. Um, I don't know, you know. It's also Again, there's... this is like, you know, it gets into like splitting hairs. Like right. It's like, all right, we're going to talk about this when we have, you know, when, you know, 55% of CO2 emissions is caused by animal agriculture. Like, we have bigger... Fish to fry. Bigger things. Like, so, right. you know, I'm just trying to kind of, 
you know, help bee populations in, in, in our tiny little way by educating my kids about it and by being a home to these 40 hives, which is a trip. That's a, it's a lot of hives. 40 there. hives? We have, yeah, like, what is it like? How, well, how much I think space they're, is that? They're like, I think they stack them four high. So there's 10 of those kind ten of like boxes. little towers. Yeah. How tall is the tower? Like down the hill. I, I don't know, three or four feet high. Um, and it was, they brought them in the middle of the night. And it was like, okay, like, are we going to have swarming bee? You know, is there going to be like, and you're, we were like, don't go near them for a couple of days. Like, let them acclimate. You know, they have to get used to like their environment. And, wow. And all these sorts of, I mean, the way the bee populations function is, is a trip. It's really trippy. The little aliens. Mm -hmm. Do you have to plant specific flowers around your area to help them? We haven't had to do that. I mean, the big kind of hurdle that we had to get over was making sure that we had adequate water supply for them. But, um, not that I'm aware of. We have uh, in our on our property. We have specific plants and flowers that attract bees, mm. and uh, other ones that attract hummingbirds. We have a lot of hummingbirds on our property just because of that. Because mm. we put certain certain plants and flowers. But um, the bees have a real issue apparently with cell phones. Um, I was reading this whole thing about how oh, the towers yeah. like impact them. Something the like actual that. signals themselves they they impact the bees' ability to communicate. They, they fuck with their head. They can hear that shit. It, it wouldn't surprise me. I yeah. mean, the way that they have the hive, they literally have the hive mind and the mm -hmm. way that they, they sort of function in that way. Like, the, the, you know, the frequency at which they're communicating is so mysterious and amazing. Yeah, it's, it's so cool. I've told this story before, but you might not have heard it. When we were on Fear Factor, one of the uh, stunts they had, they had these people, they had, uh, they had to get handcuffed to a pole or something like that, and then we covered them with bees. And uh, while we were doing this, the beekeeper told us that we had to stop filming because uh, a local population of bees had came over to investigate his population of bees. And they were above us in this cloud in the air sorting it out. They weren't fighting. Mm -hmm. They were somehow or another communicating. Like, who the fuck are you guys? Oh, man, we're here for a TV show. Okay, so you're not moving in. No, we're not moving in. Are you guys taking our pollen? No, we're not <laughs> taking your pollen. Like, and they had and to work it out. And then they worked it out. They mm -hmm. worked it out. And they then, worked it out. They disappeared. Yeah, and then we kept filming. But it took, we had That's a stop. so amazing. It was really cool. It was really cool to watch because it was like, what is going on? And I, you know, and I, the, the, everybody was, it was weird how people weren't interested in it because uh, they're like, oh, we got to stop filming. Apparently, like those local bee population that's intermixed with this bee population. I was like, what? First of all, I was high as fuck. So it was super, super interesting to me. So I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're talking? Like, how do you know whose bees are whose bees? He goes, and he was like, you could tell just by the way they're, they're swarming in the air. They're trying to work this out. And so there was this like small cloud of these bees because he had brought a lot of bees and the local bees got together with his bees and they were hovering and they, but they had to disperse. Like they told everyone to get away. They told uh, all the crew to get away. Everyone leave the area. Mm -hmm. You know, he wanted to make sure that there was nothing fucking with this interaction, this strange. Because right. he has yeah, this like the bee beekeeper. Guy. Yeah, he, well, he's a deep respect for bees. This guy really does love bees. It was really really interesting. It was interesting for me, too, because I was covered with bees in that episode. Mm. I mean, they were all over my hair, my face, and my arms, and everything like that. And I never got stung. I didn't get stung. A couple people got stung on the set, but I don't know, you know, what happened. It could have been, like, you know, like, maybe if, like, a, a bee's in your armpit, and you, you, you move your arm, and it gets trapped, and it's like, fuck this, and it stings yeah. you. Probably just, just accidental circumstances that came from having millions or thousands or whatever it was of bees. Right, right, right. 
That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool seeing them all get together and try to figure it out. Just flying overhead, just communicating some, in some way that we just really don't even have a clue. Mm-hmm. We believe pheromones are involved, but we also know that there's some sort of signal that they're sending out. We just don't know what it is, mm-hmm. you know? The whole insect world is a real trip. I mean, they really are alien. They just really are some strange alien life form. We found them on another planet, we'd be blown away. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, just the idea that there's a queen and the, and yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and and the fact that the hive is lost without it. Yeah. And that everything kind of falls into place when the when the queen is, you know, inserted into the population. I mean, I can't begin to, you know, it's like I, I know very little about this. But. How about the queen's a murdering bitch? She's got a fucking stinger that doesn't come off. It doesn't she doesn't have like barbs on it the way everyone else does. And what she does is she wanders around the hive looking for female babies and she stabs them right through is the fucking honeycomb. <laughs> yeah. That's what the female uses it's her like stinger Game for. It's like Game of Thrones. Oh, it's awful. She's a fucking heartless cunt. And, you know, one day she will be usurped. There are a, a new female will come along and, and kick her ass, and, and that's it. But right now, she's going to stab those babies. So she runs around, like, sticking her needle in the honeycomb when she f- smells a female. A fucking girl in there. No to Come and take my spot. No threat to the throne. Yeah, it's a very bizarre world of bugs. Have you ever seen the uh, leaf cutter ant, uh, the documentary they did, where they um, they cemented, they poured cement through this leaf cutter ant um, hive, this enormous hill, and then they dug it out and revealed oh, the structure. Yeah, it was incredibly labyrinthine, right? And it went, it, it, it was vast. Vast. Right? It was huge. Yeah, huge and incredibly complex. Like they had areas where these leaves would ferment and then they had pipes that led like tubes that led through to the sky or to the uh, the surface area where they would hit air so that they could the fermentation process the gases could be released yeah that's like, crazy like with these tiny brains how the fuck like, are how they figuring they... that out <laughs> Like, we don't even know. Like, oh, well, human beings would fuck that up in an instant. <laughs> For sure. You know? Unions would get involved. And yeah. There It'd it is. Caving Look in. Look at that. Oh, right. Oh yeah, I did, I did see this. I did see Industry this. in the rainforest. Right. It's like they did an archaeological dig mm-hmm. to, like, extract it, right? Yeah, they filled it up with cement. And, I mean, it's first of all, it's enormous. I mean, you look at how wide it is. It's probably 50 feet wide. And, and it's, it's insane. It's very deep as well. And there's so much to it. There's so much going on there, and how are they communicating? Who is the architect of all this structure? How did they figure this out? They all know how to do this? Like, what in the fuck, man? Unbelievable. And unbelievable and a huge fucking mystery. And until like, a decade or two ago, we had no idea what the fuck was even below the surface. We had no idea what they were doing down there. I mean, it really is amazing. It is just absolutely amazing. Have you seen the ant death spiral? Have you ever seen that? No. Whoa, that's a trip. Check You're this like out. king of the obscure animal video. So I do my free, free, mm-hmm. free time, man. I, I love to watch uh, animal nature videos. Cause I think it's very underappreciated, the the uniqueness or the just the just the eccentricities of the animal world or just how amazing and fascinating what complex is that it is. um that crazy uh rodent 
that looks like a capybara. Huge, yeah, yeah. Did you see that one where they're climbing into a hot tub? No. They have like this hot tub party. Oh, dude, there's an insane. animal. There's an the ant capybara death spiral. Is amazing. All right. This is an ant death spiral, and this is when the queen dies. When a queen dies, and the scent is no longer there, and they don't know who to follow, they don't know what the fuck to do, and they go into this spiral. And they will just do this until they run out of energy and food, and they will fucking die. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm probably they doing a really shitty job of they explaining just, this. They'll just continue to spin like that until mm -hmm. they just yep. perish. Yeah, yeah. They don't know where to go. They don't know who to follow. I mean, there's a ver there's a hierarchy in the ant community. Uh, I'm sure it could be explained. See if you could find an explanation for mm -hmm. it, Jamie. I'm, I probably butchered it, but. The uh, the idea being that they're following the scent of the queen and somehow or another they lose it and so they don't know what to do so they just start going in the spiral. Mm. Maybe someone stepped on the queen or something happened. They removed the queen perhaps mm. and a, a bird might have stolen the queen. Mm. Mm, like a dragon come down, swoop, mm. take away their queen. Yeah. World's crazy, mysterious place. Well, insects in particular, could we, we, you know, we don't think of them that much because they're so small, but ants have the almost exact same calculated biomass as human beings when it comes to weight, meaning that there's exactly the same amount of ant weight for the bodies of ants on Earth as there are humans. Oh, oh, you, I, you mean in total? In total, Like if yes. you added up all the ants and all mm -hmm. the humans, that the, the, the total mass would be the equal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's how many ants there are. How many, I mean, how many fucking ants does it take to equal a 180-pound person? It's got to be a lot. What's the average height or weight of a person? It's probably somewhere around there, like 160 or something like that, yeah, between probably. men and women. Not in the U.S., yeah, it's like 100 pounds more than that, right? <clears throat> the average, what is it? How to make ants commit suicide would go into a spiral. You can make them do it. You can make them do it? Yeah. Why would you do that, dick? <laughs> yeah, that's totally not <laughs> you cool. You simply divert the ants into an enclosed space such as a plant pot. The largest ant mill ever discovers was staggering 1,200 feet in diameter with each ant completing a circuit every two and a half hours. Holy shit. Whoa. So you can make them do it? Yeah. That unable to break free owing to their lack of sight, and they march around in a loop until they drop dead. What does it say before that? It explains it. How do they remove the... Army ants navigate by following the pheromone trails left behind by others. However, should enough of them lose the scent, they begin to follow the ant immediately in front of them, and a huge ant spiral forms. Ah. Whoa. They follow the scent of those in front of them. What's well, a fucking trip, man? How weird. It's weird that not only did nature somehow or another have a need for this, but it, you know, it came about, it developed, hmm. and it, it's been the same way, that way, for who knows how many right. millions I mean, of what, years. What is the evolutionary purpose of that, though? Mm. Just they follow each other. They can't see shit. <clears throat> But how, who the fuck is the first guy? Who, what does he know? How does he know what he's doing? You're going deep, Joe. Cutting <laughs> up leaves and making these fermentation bowls in the ground. And like, what a trippy fucking world the insect world is. The insect world, to me, is one of the most bizarre worlds. Or the, the you know, most overlooked. Because they're so small, we don't think of them... As, as alien as they truly are. You know, if an ant was the size of a dog, it would well, freak you the fuck yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, it's downright prehistoric. Yeah. Oh, beyond.
Yeah. I mean, they're they're prehistoric even to dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs look at ants and go, what the fuck is that? Crazy thing with an exoskeleton with unbelievable physical strength. Mm-hmm. I mean, the physical strength that an ant has. Yeah, the power to weight ratio is oh. pretty <laughs> off the charts. Oh, it's incredible. Incredible. Have you ever seen ants carry large things away? Yeah. Just what the fuck, man? Yeah, the ant world is a ruthless, evil, vicious world, too. You ever see when um, the uh, female ants get a hold of, I think it's leaf cutters as well, they get a hold of a male. Males are larger and they have wings. Might be, not be leaf cutters, but whatever it is, they chop the wings off of the male, chop his arms off and legs, and then carry him to the, to the hive to breed. I haven't seen that. Bitches. So rude. I got to bone up on my <laughs> nature videos, I think. Yeah, I, I probably have to bone down. Yeah. I probably have too many of them in there. Too much useless information. I don't have the time, Joe. I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. I just, uh, I get compelled to uh, research things and to follow up mm-hmm. and to start reading and watching things. And the next thing you know, I'm, I've gone on this crazy cycle. Is that a, mm-hmm. yeah. What kind of ants it is? Just the biggest one. The biggest ants. Two and a half inches. Two and a half inches. Oh. Yeah, that's a big ass ant. Well, have you ever seen? Ant yeah, with wings. My friend, uh, Brian Callen at uh, one point in time was uh, studying to be uh, an ant scientist. And uh, he would he had spent some time in uh, rainforest. I think it was Borneo, New, New Guinea. I forget what it was. Wow. Um, but they uh, had to, everyone stayed in these tents, these elevated platforms. They had to coat the posts with turpentine. Yeah, yeah. Because there were so many ants. And if the army ants found you, if they found you and one of them decided to bite you, just like they follow the scent, then millions and millions and millions, and they would just eat you alive. And people would regularly get killed by ants there. That's crazy. <clears throat> How about the fact they kill elephants? They climb up the elephant's leg, they find the ear, and they start eating the fucking elephant's brain. And then they all follow the scent, and they all follow, go up the elephant's body, and eat his fucking brain alive. Yeah. From the inside out. Ants kill a lot of things. You wouldn't think so. Well, it, it's all you have to do is leave like something out on your kitchen counter for five minutes. Yeah. And out of mysterious nowhere, a line of ants will appear. Yeah. And then, and then if you remove it, they disappear. Well, have you ever seen something outside that like wasn't there before, and then all of a sudden the flies find it? And then within minutes, there's all these fucking flies. Mm-hmm. There was no flies. And then within minutes, they find this, and somehow or another, they go, yo, 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 here we go. We got something. And then there's all these fucking flies. It's very, like, how are they doing that? Like, we don't even know. We have no idea. I don't know. We got diverted. You need, you need, I know. You need an insectologist. Is that what they would be called? Nope. Come on that. Some sort of a word for that. What is it? Entomologist? Entomologist, that's right. Is that what it is? Yeah. What's the study of words, the origins of words? Etymology? Etymology. Etymology. Don't get confused. Don't yeah. <laughs> order one and get the other. I'm trying to find out the origin of the word cunt. Well, I know about bugs. And I don't know what you're trying There's to get. There's a lot of layers about. to that, Brian <clears throat> Callen. What, what compelled him to want to study that? I don't know. He's a, there's a lot of layers to Brian. Yeah, Brian's a deep dude. Uh, you know, you, you start getting to know him, and you dig deeper and deeper and deeper. You find out his educational background, and he's a, he knows a lot of mm-hmm. shit about weird stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that freaked him out. He he said he could hear the marching of mm-hmm. the ants. You hear them walking at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. So many of them on the floor that you just you realize like, oh my god, there's millions of them. 
you were talking about how you're a huge Radio Lab fan, right? Yes. Have you have you gotten down with the show Invisibilia? No. You what is that? It? Oh, it's pretty cool, man. I think you would dig it. Um, is that a different it's podcast? Another, yeah, it's a different podcast. It's another one of it? those Invis- Invisibilia. It's another kind of NPR offshoot. You know, like how sort of Ira Glass at This American mm-hmm. Life, all these producers that have worked for him have now started all these other podcasts. Um, super interesting stories. There was one re- recently uh, about a guy who I guess is a pretty well-known guy. Um, he's blind. I think he went blind as a, as a, like a four-year-old or something like that. He lost his sight. And <clears throat> he started in school, he started making these like clicking noises with his mouth, like like that. And his teachers would say, you know, what are you doing? Settle down. Stop doing that. And his mother realized very early on that there was some purpose to this. There was some reason why he was doing this. Echolocation. Yeah. And and what they realized is that he was developing over many years of practicing this like a finely attuned sonar ability. Like he would literally be able to uh, figure out like where he was and what was in a room and what was going on by basically making these clicking noises and the, and, the, and the sound waves bouncing off. And he developed this acuity to be able to discern from that the parameters of his environment to the extent that he, he like, goes running. He, like, rides a bike. What? It's insane, like, what this guy has been able to do as a blind person. He goes running. And his whole thing is, his whole thing is that he doesn't think that he's anything special. He thinks that all blind people could develop this skill, but that our education around blindness is sort of um, a, a vernacular of disability, right? Where, where we say, well, you're disabled, you can't do this, so we're going to put you into this system, and this is how we do it with blind people. And his, he's like, that's bullshit. Like, everybody could learn to do what I'm doing. We need to, like, empower blind people in this way. It's super interesting. It was like a long interview with this guy. But anyway, each week they have some kind of interesting story like that. Well, there's a video of a young kid who can do that. A young kid who uh, walks on the street, makes clicking noises, and he knows where trash cans are and stuff. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, so, so like, the, the latent abilities that we all have, right, mm. if we develop them, it's sort of like how the disability unlocks some other aspect of your brain that, that needs to develop in order to survive. One of the best pool players in the world is this young man named Shane Van Boning, and he's deaf been deaf since birth and when he plays he shuts his hearing aid off mm. and it's, it allows him to concentrate in. more yeah, yeah who's like this guy in. look at this oh that's the guy that's him yeah. this is a different guy than the other guy was a young black guy right so this is the guy from the from the podcast so is he Daniel clicking Kish. Is completely blind in fact he doesn't even have eyes save for prosthetic ones daniel has never seen a tree a car or even the bicycle he's riding so how does he know where he's going? He's or literally how to avoid driving on the street. Traffic? The answer can be found in the clicking sound you hear. It's called echolocation. Bats use it to fly around in the dark, and dolphins use it to navigate the oceans. Daniel uses echolocation, or sound, to see. Every environment has its own acoustical signature. Every surface has its own acoustical signature. Daniel was born with an aggressive form of eye cancer called retinal blastoma. By the time he was 13 months old, both of his eyes were removed. You're 45. So you lost your sight at such a young age. You don't have any any memory of vision. I have no memories at all. 
Oh, I was using echolocation from the age of two or, or younger, but I really didn't know that much about it. It was just how you, how you adapted to your environment without really understanding it? Yes, I doubt very seriously that most sighted people give much thought or attention about how they see. So I really didn't give much thought or attention about how I see. Daniel uses echolocation to ride his bike. Cook. Is this a dish that you normally cook, Daniel, no, or are you no. experimenting this is with total, me? This is a total <laughs> And even hike, alone in the mountains. Using sound to see can be a hard concept for a sighted person to understand. What the fuck? But Daniel will tell you, he sees his environment as a series of images created in his mind based on what he hears using echolocation. So you're calling out into the environment, you're essentially asking the environment, what are you and where are you, and you're receiving those answers. So you're getting an image and in your mind. Yes, I definitely get uh, three-dimensional images with depth and character and richness. And I can process those and I can interact with those. From his modest bungalow in Long Beach, Daniel runs a small nonprofit called World Access for the Blind. Since being established in 2000, World Access has been the lone voice preaching echolocation. In fact, every major blind organization in America does not support Daniel's mission. So, Daniel, the National Federation of the Blind will say that echolocation is just too complicated. Uh, wow. for, for most blind people to grasp. It's not so much the Federation that's, that's a concern. You have here a blindness profession, the blindness field, who by and large really kind of intractably remains committed, if you will, to a traditional approach which is about, in my opinion, restriction. It is about this is how you do things. This is the right way for a blind person to do things. This is safe. This isn't safe. Watching that guy drive his bike is a fucking trip. That is bizarre. Right. And so you watch that and it makes you just think about human capability in a different way. Well, it certainly does. It certainly makes you wonder, like, what, what else we could do. You know, if we could figure that out, if, if, if there's a person like him that can figure out how to see things with his sound, like making echolocations, like what, what, other, what other possible senses could be developed and to that extent, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, in the animal kingdom, there's like, aren't they training these German shepherds that can smell cancer, yeah. like early onset of cancer? Mm -hmm. They're doing similar things with you know, rats and, you know, I mean, obviously those animals have a more developed, you know, sense in that area, but to the extent that human beings have unlocked, you know, potential in areas that we haven't really looked at, I think it's pretty interesting. Well, people certainly have finely developed senses, like certain people that play instruments have finely developed senses of sound. Uh, sommeliers have a finely developed sense of taste. Like, you ever talk to someone who's like a real wine sommelier and they can, they, they can drink a glass of wine, have a sip of it, and tell you what part of the world it came from. Like, yeah, that's real. That, I mean, they can sip it and tell you what part of France they're, they're growing these fucking grapes. Yeah, well, there are these people with uh, crazy noses that work in the 
perfume industry that you mm. know, like are highly paid to you know decipher these accents. Yeah, you know, it's like something I I couldn't even relate to. But I think in general, you know, uh, need is the mother of that invention. Like you know, somebody who's not in Daniel's condition is not on their own going to develop echolocation. Right. You know what I mean? It also makes you really wonder if there are fields, like we were talking about how bees can tune into the sound that a cell phone makes and it fucks with them. I wonder if there's anything like that that's affecting us in some sort of a strange way that we're not aware of. Because one of the things that I'm always like really aware of when I go, if I go to the wilderness, if I go to a real wild place, is the sound of it is different than the sound of silence here. Like if you're in a park here and it's beautiful, it's nature, it's, it's nice, it's relaxing, but there's a certain tone to like Prince of Wales Island in Alaska is a perfect example. We were there and we were on the top of this mountain. We're sitting there. I was like, do you hear that? Like it's like it, it sounds different. It feels different here. It's like you're getting a signal of no signal. There's no cell phone. There's no radio. You, you're not tuning into anything other than nature itself. And it has a different tone to it than a city has. Well, for sure. I mean, I would say that there's, you're saying there's no signal, but I think there's probably a really powerful yeah. signal. It's just a different signal. Yeah, I shouldn't you know? even say I think, no is the wrong way to say it. Yeah. You know, listen, everything is vibration and energy. And, you know, if you don't think that, that, uh, you know, that isn't real, you know, go hang out with negative people for a week and see how you start behaving. You so know, it's true. Like, yeah. And to, you know, an environment is no different. And we tend to believe that if we can't see something that it's not real. So mm. here's, you know, Daniel, who, you know, is putting out sound waves into the world and, and he's able to figure out what his environment is. You can't see that. He can't see that. But to him, it's very real. And, you know, we're, surrounded by all kinds of crazy invisible energies and waves from cell phone towers to Wi-Fi signals and all this kind of stuff. I mean, do we know how this is impacting us? I know people that are super sensitive to, to, uh, to Wi-Fi and, and cell phones. Like they get headaches and all kinds of stuff. So what is this, Jamie? Student uh, science experiment finds yeah. plants won't grow near Wi-Fi router. So uh, some ninth graders in Denmark did a test where they put, what they said was, or they tested, uh, it's the same radiation a cell phone gives off. So they put some water cress, I think is what it's called, or garden cress, and six trays in one room, six trays in another with two Wi-Fi routers. And it essentially, as you can see in the picture, it didn't grow. And so the ones is, in the Wi-Fi routers is no different in the environment other than the fact that Wi-Fi routers were there? Yeah. Yeah, that ain't good. That's frightening. It it's is. 12 days of growth. I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, there's, there's a signal. If your phone can pick up that signal, there's something in the air. And that something in the air is probably disruptive to other things that are also in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's if one of the... If it's fucking up the bees, what's it doing to your brain? Exactly. Right? It feels different, man. When you go to a place with no cell phone signal, it literally feels different. And it's so rare that we do that. So rare. Yeah, but it's not just it's not just the cell phone signal. I mean, it's all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's people give off a certain signal too. You know, people want to think that that's hippie and woo woo, but man, when you're around really negative people, you're just, oh, I gotta get away from this person. And it's not just you got to get away from them because they say certain things. Like they give off a vibe. Mm -hmm. You know that that's like that's a hippie thing to say. The vibes, guys, give me a bad vibe, man. But 
I think it's real. I think there there are certain real. You signals. walk into a room and you're like, well, there's a heavy energy in here. Mm. You know, there's something weird. Doesn't feel right to me. You know, I got you get you get you get like anxious and you got to leave. Yeah. Right. Everybody's had that experience. Well, that's why nobody wants to buy a house where someone was killed in it. <laughs> right. Right. That's I mean, true, even if the house is awesome. You find out this, there was like a double homicide there. You're like, fuck this place. Have you ever been up in? Um, uh, Towards Simi, um, that like dry lake bed in Chatsworth. Yes. And what's that canyon uh, called right there? That's creepy. <sighs> um, Tapo? No. What no, is it? No, 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 no. I don't know. You know what I'm talking I about? I know what though? you're talking about, though. Yeah. Like I've ridden my, I ride my bike all, you know, like I do a lot of training around here, and I've ridden up that canyon. It's a great climb, but like there's something weird. You know, you can feel like a weird energy, and it, uh-huh. it turns out that. Um, Box you know, Canyon? Right, yeah, 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 Box yeah, Canyon. Yeah. And, like, um, what's that? The, the tr- Manson family. Um, yeah, there was, like, the Mansons were back there. And also there are, <laughs> I think it's Boeing is back there. Yes. Defense contractors where they were doing, like, nuclear testing mm-hmm. in the ground, which is why that's a dry lake bed. And there's still some people that will tell you that they're, you know, it's like, it's not so safe there. They, they, they did some shit out there, you know? Well, they definitely did some shit there. Not only that, there was some, in, in Simi, there were some uh, water well tests that they did that found traces of rocket fuel in the water well. And there's mm-hmm. a cleanup that's going on up there right now. Is it really? Yeah. The yeah, people, Santa Susana Pass mm-hmm. like right on there, right? People are worried about that cleanup because what they're worried about is that if they start digging and cleaning up, that the, the dust is going to get into the air and it's going to blow through the valley. Mm. And whatever trace elements of that rocket fuel, apparently there was a lot of disasters up there. They did a lot of shit down there in the 50s and the 60s. Right. A lot of like early testing on stuff. Yeah. They had like some sort of a, a nuclear thing there as well. I mean, uh, apparently... There was a um, nuclear incident, right. much worse than three mile, worse than Three Mile Island. Really? In nineteen fifty nine, they had something worse than Three Mile Island, huh? In LA, but the, the, apparently, I read a study on it though, and one of the things it said the study, like the half life of the type of radiation that they had, was very short lived. So it's not something that like lingers in an area. The real mm. concern that the uh, apparently, according to what I read that the sober environmentalists are concerned with is the the rocket fuel that's leaked into the uh the ground and gotten into the well water into that area mm. like that's the real concern is that is that why the lake bed is dry i don't know yeah i have no idea why the lake bed is dry interesting i i knew a dude who lived um near a golf course and the pesticides from the golf course leaked into the well and he got cancer his neighbor got cancer. Uh, kids in his neighbor, like, like all throughout their neighborhood, people got cancer, wow. and they got cancer because of the pesticides. Like they all got a very specific type of bone cancer. Scary shit. Like he doesn't have a femur. One mm. of his femurs is like a metal rod that they replaced his femur with because he had cancer. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's from pesticides. I hope there was a big class action. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what what the fuck went down, but uh, you know, bone cancer from a golf course fuck you know imagine what a rocket facility they're dumping what kind of shit they're dumping into that fucking ground yeah over no there. kidding right i mean you know our world is getting more and more toxic right all these things we have to worry about think about think about you know you just look on the back of you know the average packaged food that you pick up at the grocery store and all the ingredients in it and like you know who knows what all that stuff is mm-hmm. and whether it's safe and we're entrusting regulatory bodies to make these decisions for us right well, how about medication and, 
Yeah, of course, yeah. right? All well, the new medications are constantly coming out, <laughs> right. side effects. Well, I mean, the commercials are just comedic, yeah. you know, like literally way more, you know, disclosures about side effects than actual product information. Yeah, we played one for acne medicine the other day that was hilarious. Because well, there was this like suicidal. Yeah, oh, not just suicidal. They were talking <laughs> yeah. about bloody diarrhea. They had these oh, really God. pretty girls, and they were walking down the street. And they were bopping. One of the girls from that commercial, the redheaded girl, contacted me on Twitter. Um, they had no idea what the fuck they were selling. You know, they're just trying to be pretty. You know, they don't. They're not talking in the commercial, right. but they're bopping down the street to that Pharrell song, Happy. And uh, they have, like, beautiful skin and beautiful hair and their perfect bone structure. And they're literally, like, bopping as they're walking. Like, they're in some, like, happy music video. And then as they're doing that, the, they start reading the laundry list of possible potential side effects that are fatal. Bloody diarrhea, stomach cramps, all these different things. And then they're, they're very specific, which could be fatal. Uh-huh. Just because you're getting zits. And again, like you're saying, like you're just looking at back the- on the couch watching this. I mean, we're we've signed up for this. I mean, the the Orwellian dystopia mm-hmm. is like weirder than you could have ever imagined. Right. And, and again, what you were talking about earlier is you're using a medication to deal with an issue that it, if you take a holistic approach, what's causing you to have acne? Right. I mean, what is causing your skin to break out in some sort of a horrible way that you need this fucking bloody diarrhea-inducing medication to combat it? Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, the side effects far outweigh, you know, the condition that you're trying to treat. And there's, I would say there's, zits to bloody well, diarrhea there's, that kills there's, you. <laughs> there's, there isn't even a single thought put into the cause. Like, why don't we talk about what might be leading to this and maybe some choices that you could make that could alleviate or prevent this no just take this well you can't make any money with those choices enjoy your bloody diarrhea (laughs) there's only one way to make the money the the way you make the money is you gotta you gotta sell the stuff yeah you don't you don't make money by getting people you can you can write a book yeah you know book make some money it's not gonna make as money money as accutane or something like that i know the broccoli growers need to unite yeah, imagine if there was like a plant that cured zits, just one plant. Boy, would they make that plant illegal quick. Encroaching <laughs> <laughs> on uh, all that, Pfizer's profits or something. Yeah, all that mon- What is that stuff? The benzoyl peroxide, the stuff, all that money? Oh, yeah. All Remember? that does is ten dries your fucking skin out. That's what it does. It's, all the pus just gets dried out. And your skin feels like shit. Yeah, I mean, look. You know, Western medicine is fantastic if you have, you know, an acute disorder. I'm not like, you know, against Western medicine or pharmaceuticals when appropriate. I just think that, that, you know, we're too quick to take them Mm -hmm. to, you know, deal with things that might be better addressed in other ways. I agree. And it's also, why does it have to be one or the other? You know, why does it it have to be pharmaceutical drugs are Mm -hmm. evil or they're great? No, Mm -hmm. it's like sometimes they're great. And sometimes they're evil. And, you know, the problem is profit. Once profit gets in, in the way or profit gets into the mix, that becomes the sole thing you're chasing. It's not like let's make sure that what we're doing is the most beneficial to society and to human beings possible. Mm-hmm. No. Let's make sure we make a fuckload of money, the most money we could possibly make, because getting something passed by the FDA is a huge process. It costs yeah. millions and millions of dollars. So by the time you actually do get a product to market, you, you, you have to protect that product. You have mm-hmm. to protect that, that money. It's all about money, money and profit. 
the best thing to do is just be proactive enough about your health so that you can do whatever's under your control to prevent you from getting any kind of, you know, acute disease. Not to say that it doesn't happen, because of course it does. But, um, you know, I think there's lots of things that, that could be more deeply explored than, than, you know, our culture really is, you know, sort of per permittable to in kind of our, you know, what we accept as mainstream or not. Like I, I started recently uh, going to acupuncture, which I'd never done before. Do you think it was bullshit before? Yeah, I've done that. No, I didn't, I didn't think it was bullshit. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty rational guy, you know, so the idea of sticking, you know, sort of like the idea of meridians and sticking needles into my yeah. forehead and all, you know, I was like, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't an immediate, you know, somebody who's going to immediately jump on that bandwagon. But I know a lot of people who have benefited from it, and I was having some things that I wanted addressed, like particularly sleep. Like I've been challenged by sleep lately, and so I went to see my friend, who's a Chinese medicine doctor, and he started doing it on me, and it was help it was really helpful. Yeah, you know, it was really helpful. And it's it so possible? interesting the idea of like balancing energy systems, and you know, kind of how it works. I mean, it's so ornate and. And this, you know, my friend who's, he's studying Chinese medicine and he's still kind of in his residency. So he's working underneath like a, this Chinese dude who's been practicing this forever. And they come in and the guy, like literally this, this, this Chinese medicine doctor, the only thing he wants to do is take my pulse on both wrists. And he, he takes it with his thumb in a couple different places. And apparently his touch is so finely attuned that he, he can tell all kinds of things about like where you're at based upon the pressure of your pulse and, you know, the frequency and the tempo and all these sorts of things. So he wants to do that. And then he wants to look at uh, your tongue and he can tell by looking at your tongue, like all sorts of crazy shit about where you're at. Do you it's believe super it? Super interesting. Do you believe well, it or do you believe I, in the possible placebo effect? I think the placebo effect is powerful. You know, I'm, I'm into, like, trying anything. You know, why mm -hmm. not, right? Like, you know, contempt prior to investigation. Um, That's a good I way to I'd get... Get hoodwinked? Yeah, something's going to happen. Well, I mean, I think... <laughs> With a yeah, dude. But, I, but, but is that better than saying I'm not going to explore that because I think it's BS without having any direct experience No, but, it? I mean, it's nice to have some sort of proof. Yeah. Or something, some I mean, sort how of do information. I how mean, you, how do you prove? I mean, I think that, you know... You run some tests. Some tests on what? Like, so well, for have, example, have the guy prove that he can actually do that. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, all I can tell you is that I was having issues with sleep and mm -hmm. relaxation, and this seemed to benefit and alleviate my problem to some extent. So right. Is, doesn't, that, don't you is think... that placebo? Is that the herbs that he prescribed me? Is that the acupuncture? It certainly could be those things because yeah. you got to think about like sleep. Oftentimes, it's psychological. Oftentimes, sleep is a matter of your ability to relax, and we've all been in that situation before where you know you have to be at work in five hours, and if I go to sleep right now, I can get four hours sleep, and you look at that clock, and for yeah. whatever reason, you, you're stuck in that thing because you know that you have to go to sleep right this moment, and the of pressure course. of that keeps you awake even if you're tired. If you take action to try to alleviate that by acupuncture or whatever, whatever it is, the, just the, the mere act of taking action will shift your focus into a, a cure. And you mm -hmm. can oftentimes start thinking that whatever this placebo effect is, is real. I'm not doubting that this guy has a real app, a possible uh, gift or whatever it is, but wouldn't it be nice if we just can prove it? Like, wouldn't you want to prove that? Wouldn't yeah. you want to just work with a bunch of people and find out, uh, oh, look, you know, he, he's right. This guy does have a gallbladder issue or mm -hmm. he's right. This guy does. 
I just met a lot of fuckers. Yeah, or doing your TV zone show, healers yeah. and all these cr You're crap. becoming uh, much more cynical about this kind of stuff. Even before that, I, there was a guy that was working with all these MMA guys that I know, and he was a zone healer. And uh, and he like would press the back of your head and tell you from the spots that he was pressing what was wrong with you, and but it was bullshit. Like he he would like press harder here. Does that hurt when I do that? Like yeah, because you're pressing harder. Stupid. Mm -hmm. What do you think I'm dumb? And like we had this conversation. I'm like, how is it, how exactly is this working? And he was like, well, your body's ability to heal itself is dependent upon freeing your energy and this. How does that work? How does that work? How does that work? And after badgering him with a bunch of different questions, he essentially admitted it was all placebo effect. Mm. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. And he was charging like 160 bucks to get adjusted and he would touch your head. Was, he, was this part of your show or was no, this just your this personal? No, this dude that I knew that was in the mixed martial arts world. Uh -huh. He was dealing with all these different fighters and jujitsu guys that had you know back injuries and neck. And he was a good chiropractor. But this zone healing thing, as he was getting into it, the more I would like listen to it, I was like, okay, what? What are you, you're telling me you could touch the back of someone's head and press spots and tell if they have a thyroid condition? Mm -hmm. The fuck out of here! That's not true. That's just not true. And he kind of admitted it wasn't true. He kind of admitted that ultimately what he's doing is, if you believe in what he's doing, it will fix what what you have that's wrong with you. Because ultimately. There's another great uh, Radiolab uh, podcast on uh, placebo effect. And there was one of them where they were talking about this guy. They, they hypnotized this kid who had this insane wart problem, skin warts. Like, have you ever seen people that have like, warts all over their skin? Mm -hmm. Where they become, it becomes um, um, incurable by medication. And they convinced this kid that they had hypnotized him and that it was going to go away and it went away on his arm his arm was like completely free of warts which just never happens when someone reaches such an acute level of uh infection like this kid had and so in, in a sense it is real in a sense it's not hooey if you're as long as you're gullible as long as you're willing to wholeheartedly jump in and believe it and I think that might be what's going on with acupuncture. That might be what's going on with a lot of, you know, quote unquote, Chinese medicine or Eastern medicine. I think if you believe that they have found you a cure, your body starts producing whatever it actually needs to fix whatever ailment you have. And thus it becomes actually effective. So the, the method is not correct. The method is a trick, but that trick is effective. And that effective trick does convince your brain to fix whatever the problem is. And it's really baffling. And it only works if you're not a discerning, critical person. Because if you're a discerning person who's skeptical, it's not going to work. Because then you're going to hyper-analyze whatever it is or the potential possibilities of whatever it is. And it just won't, it won't work, which is weird. There's no shortage of snake oil salesmen pitching all kinds of crazy healing techniques you know no doubt but i think that in fairness you know acupuncture and traditions of chinese medicine these go back you know hundreds if not thousands of years so does witchcraft i think they're well so does slavery yeah but people are not going to see witchcraft doctors in west la well they you know would I mean? I, I, believe so me. i think that there they is would <laughs> i think that the the history and the you know the sort of um traditions behind it there is there is merit there is there though but I what scientifically i don't know i mean i'm the wrong guy to ask about that i think but if you're the wrong um, guy to ask about that you're probably the wrong guy to talk about it though maybe. right yeah probably yeah <laughs> probably but i think that you, you, 
I, it's a, I mean, listen, you know, I just know from my friend who's been studying this. I mean, he's been in school like for crazy long periods of time. But do you say school? Like, uh, do you do air quotes? No, no, school? I think it's, you know, it's essentially like medical school. You know, it's nothing like medical school. How about that? Well, You're sticking needles at people and lighting no, little incense. But in terms of like studying physiology and yeah. studying chemistry and organic chemistry and all that kinds of things. Right. But it, it, it's like on energy meridians and chakras and all that jazz, right? I mean, isn't that like what it's uh, kind of based on? There's some aspects of that mm. for sure. But there's a lot of herbal medicine, I think, too, you know? Hmm. Um, For whatever reason, I thought you said urban medicine. No, you know, herbal or the study of the study of herbs. Right. I mean, there's there's certainly some herbs that have medicinal values. One of my favorite herbs has massive amounts of medicinal values. uh, Oregano, (laughs) marijuana. Um, The but I just think that the sticking the needles in you. It's probably more that you're doing something. You're doing something to deal with it, and in doing something, your body reacts. You know, you, the weirdest thing about isn't that isn't drugs, that kind of half of what like sort of psychotherapy is too? Sure. Just the willingness to show up mm-hmm. for it yep. is you know to walk through the door and to engage somebody else is almost you know half, no, no doubt half the battle. Yeah, no doubt. There's definitely merit to that. I mean, and also like I said, like the idea of any you know fill in the blank, whatever type of modality, any type of therapy that's actually effective, even though it doesn't have any real scientific basis to it, the the effect is still real. You still get a benefit from it. Like this zone healing shit. Like if you believe in it, it will affect you, which is kind of fucking crazy. It's kind of crazy that in some ways there's merit to it. Well, I mean, let's just talk about meditation and mindfulness practices, right? So if you want to apply your sort of, you know, analytical perspective to that, you can draw the same conclusions. Really? I could tell you, well, I mean, listen, anybody who is a consistent, who has a consistent meditation practice will tell you that, you know, it improves their life. Right. But do you so know is that, that a placebo? No. Like, is there a provable, you know, thing that, you know, sort of, could you apply that same, um, you know, litmus test to that? Because this is another sort of non-Western, you know, approach to, you know, being healthier. But there's been a lot of studies done on meditation. I'm sure there's, there's been, been a lot of studies done on the effectiveness of, of yeah. mindfulness and, and the actual effect it, on the mind. But it's an ethereal thing, right? Mm, yes. But it's not lying to you. It's not saying that this frog potion that I give you is going to cure your cancer and then your body cures the cancer. Mm. There's a, a certain aspect of meditation that's undeniably beneficial. But that, that, that aspect of it has really been scientifically analyzed. They've done all these fMRI scans on people that are Buddhist monks that have spent years and years meditation. They've done scans on people that were in you know deep REM sleep and different stages of the mind. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scientific work that's been done on you know, what we call meditation, achieving certain brain waves, achieving certain states. Those aren't fake. And... In a sense, placebo effect isn't fake either, right? Because every drug that that exists exists because there's a receptor for it in the human mind. The reason why those drugs are effective is because the mind knows how to actually produce that effect in some sort of limited quantity on its own. That's one of the reasons why placebo mm-hmm. effects work. That's the reason why we have opiate receptors and cannabinoid receptors and all these different things 
and processes that the mind can engage in with or without medication. That's why those medications have an effect on the body. So in that sense, placebos, if you believe in them, work. There really is something isn't, there. Isn't it even more than that, though? Like the placebo effect works even when you know it's a placebo. Sometimes. Right? Sometimes, but not as much. study about yeah, that? There was, yeah. Yeah, yeah there was. Um, and that's, I think, what we're talking about, just doing something. The act of doing something to deal with it makes you focus on whatever that, that, that issue is. You know, I mean, how many issues that people have health-wise are just due to a complete lack of awareness of their physical body? Just stumbling through life on this drunken momentum of coffee and donuts and stress and cigarettes and traffic and pollution and stress and cigarettes and coffee and bum 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 bum, and then just the just the mere act of taking the time to reassess like what it means to be a person to to just stop and pause and give thought to your your day to day existence might be enough to reset a lot of the processes that are in place yeah i mean it's it's been huge in my life i mean it's so counterintuitive like i would rather go out and do a four-hour run than sit down for 20 minutes in the morning before i leave the house and and engage in that practice and you know over the last six or eight months i've really kind of dedicated myself to it in a in a, in a you know by prioritizing it and it's really it, ha it has been great what know? do you do how do you do it um, you know, I've played around with so many different techniques over the years. And, you know, you were talking about momentum earlier, right? Like, I've never been able to, like, hit momentum with it. Like, I'll do it for a couple days, this version, that version. And I could never find a way to really stick with it. Um, and I downloaded the Headspace app, which is an iPhone app. It's got guided meditation programs on it. Um, hmm. And it started by this dude, Andy Puttacombe, who I've had on my podcast recently because I, I became so fascinated with this guy and they're very easy to follow uh and i put it like down in the dock you know like the bottom menu of my iphone so i see it in the morning and it's a super simple app and you just open it up and it's got a whole series of programs that you can do and i just put the earbuds in and he just kind of talks you through it hmm. so he takes the thinking out of it and it just makes it easy and i've been able just just something about the ease of that i guess I've been able to kind of just do it and create momentum around it. And like anything else, once you have momentum and once you start to see the benefits of it, then you're more, you know, enthusiastic about pursuing it further. Um, and it's been cool. And this guy's he's really, he's a cool dude. He uh, is like British dude and he was in college, dropped what's, out what's of college. To Andy Puddicombe, P-U-D-D-I-C-O-M-B-E. Uh, he has a great TED talk, by the way, but he grew up in London and dropped out of college and went to Nepal and started studying Buddhist meditation and became a Buddhist monk. And he lived basically in relative seclusion for like 10 years as like a Buddhist monk practicing meditation. Whoa. And then he had this kind of postmodern Siddhartha moment where he realized like, you know, I need to go back to the West. He had this calling to come back and, and be a teacher. And, and he started this company, Headspace, that's become huge. They've got like over a million subscribers on this app. He's wow. developed this huge business around it, and he's very accessible. Like, he's friendly and engaging and very modern, and, you know, he's sort of like— Where does um, he live? He lives here in Venice now. He moved from London. He lives here in Venice. He's a cool dude. You should, yeah, there he is. Yeah. His Ted, and then he, um, right before he—once once he decided he wasn't going to be a monk anymore, and before he kind of returned west, 
he studied circus arts at the Moscow like College of Circus, and then circus went to a concert. Yeah, like he became like face painting. Like no, like the like Cirque du Soleil oh. type stuff. So he's got like this crazy skill set. And during his TED talk, he's like juggling the whole time. Really? Yeah, he's, he's he's cool, dude. Um, what are, what benefits have you found from this meditation? The biggest thing that I found is that um, I'm able to navigate stressful situations much more gracefully. I'm far less reactive uh, to people. I'm able to kind of calmly take information out, engage it, and then respond more mindfully. And I'm able to, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on right now. It's like, you know, it's just, and to be able to kind of not get anxious over that and just be able to say, okay, you know, focus on one thing at a time and not get worked up about the smaller stuff. Um, and just ultimately uh, much more productive and constructive in my interactions with other people, focused when I'm working, present with my wife and my kids, and calmer. And it's that's impacted my sleep as well. It's been it's been cool. I mean, it's been, you know, I think the benefits have exceeded what I expected. I don't know how, you know, I didn't expect it to be any crazy difference, but it's been really great. And it's sort of like, it's powerful too, to be able to kind of stand in your, space and not get rattled by things like that's a pretty potent sort of skill to develop like just imagine yourself you know you're at work your boss is coming at you he accuses you of unfairly of something and you know what do you do you're like your buttons are pushed like you're on autopilot you react in a certain way but to be able to like reprogram yourself and go oh i have a choice here you know my brain is saying this but you know, I don't have to engage in that pattern. I can actually tell a different story and react in a different way. I think that's a that's a pretty powerful life skill that's worth developing. Yeah, no doubt, no so, doubt. That's very cool. I'm going to look into that. I'm definitely going to download that app and check out him. That's uh, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Do you, uh, you ever fuck around with the sensory deprivation tank? I've been wanting to do that for so long. I want to go to the float lab in Venice. I've yeah. got a friend who's got a tank. I know you're big into that. I know that I would really dig it. Yeah, I have a tank. I have a yeah, tank yeah, in my yeah. basement. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what are the, you probably talked about this a ton on your show already, but like, what you know, if you could like encapsulate the benefits of that. Removes the mind from the body, the, the influence of the body, and all the stimuli of the world erodes, it, it uh, evaporates rather. It just... It, it's the mind untethered from the body in a very weird way. And the way I always describe it is if we were having this conversation, but right next to us, there are people screaming at the top of their lungs. It would be very distracting. We would want to go, let's go talk over here. Mm -hmm. And that, that screaming is information. It's stimuli. It's stimulus. Um, you were, you're constantly getting it right now. We're sitting in, even though these are very comfortable ergonomic chairs mm -hmm. from the Ergo Depot, Capisco chairs. Very good for your posture. I used to fucking these. these used, I used to my back used to kill me at the end of every show. Yeah. But because of these chairs, it's really fantastic. But it's still you're still in a chair. Your ass is pushing against it. You feel the weight of your body. You're moving around. There's there's a desk in front of you. We have visual cues. We're hearing things. We have earphones on. There's all this stuff that's going on constantly that. We look at it as the world, but it really what it is is data. It's data coming into your brain that your brain has to process. And that data, life itself, is a distraction. In that tank, there is no data. There, I mean, you have a very limited amount of sensation of the fact that you're in water that will eventually go away if you stay still long enough. 
The water's the same temperature as your skin. So you will get to a point where you don't feel it. There's mm-hmm. a thousand pounds of salt in that water. So you'll, you'll float effortlessly and you're in total darkness. And as long as there's no banging around the room, as long as you're in a good silent area, you will experience quiet in a way that is you, you never get. You will experience physical quiet. You will, there will be no input. In the absence of that input, your brain becomes supercharged. It makes it so much easier for me to understand influences, objectives, all the things that I have been pushing to the back of my brain, avoiding, come to light instantaneously, highlighted. Uh, all issues become highlighted. Any, any stumbling blocks, any, any things that you really need to address all come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And the way I describe it is the first 20 minutes or so seem like like a seminar on my life, like my life is um, being explained to me. Like here's, if I went to a guru that could explain to me in no uncertain terms, like someone who really knows every aspect of my life, like if you could plug a USB drive into my head into some supercomputer that can fix things, they'd go, oh, well, look at all these issues you have. You have to get rid of this, uh, Mm -hmm. clean out this clutter, stop doing that because you don't like it, don't do this, don't hang out with this person, hang out with that person more, concentrate on more on this aspect of your life. Just creatively, it's an unbelievable tool. Uh, I go over jujitsu techniques in in the in the mm-hmm. tank. I go over transitions. I go over stand up comedy in there. I go over everything in there. Yeah, that's great. I want to check it out. I mean, it sounds it. the way that you describe that is very similar to the experiences that I have when I'm in long distance tr- running and training. I'm sure you know, it's, just, it's that. You know, it's different because your heart's beating and it's it's kind of an active meditation version of that. But, you know, it's so powerful. You know, and the more that I learn about this world of mindfulness, you know, it's just it's untapped reservoirs of potential, you know, personal potential. Exactly. Mm, yeah. And, and um, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, Western culture priorities like this is not you know, this is, that's, you know, the float lab, like your tank, that's not a mainstream idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's becoming more so, is, but yeah. But I mean, to look, the typical American, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of a foreign idea. But this idea that, you know, your thinking mind is, is, is distinct from your higher consciousness. And to the extent that you have control and you can harness your thinking mind for your benefit and you're able to, you know, silence the idle negative chatter. You know, most people, like you said, you know, it's coffee, drink, you know, donuts, whatever. Um, there is a looping, you know, and mm. my mind loops as much as the next person. And generally it's not very kind things that are looping, you right. know, self-defeatist ideas, negative thoughts. Oh my God, I'm going to do Joe Rogan's podcast. What if the death squad army gangs up on me? You know, what's going to happen? You know, like whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like, and meditation allows you to understand that you don't have to engage in that Mm. and gives you a toolbox to say, let me tell a different story. I don't have to entertain that story, that story that I've been listening to my entire life that's led me down a certain path in my life and, and helped sort of forge a certain trajectory. What if I tell a new story? And let's put that story together and see where that leads. Like, could there be anything more powerful than that? Very few things. You know? Acting on those positive thoughts. Right. That, that's just as powerful, if not more. That's it. Yeah. And, and uninstalling those buttons that, cr- that cause you to react and create, you know, negative consequences for you. That's a good way to end this podcast, Rich Roll. Yeah. That was three hours of awesome. Was it? Yeah. We, we just did got it already, hours. Man. 
Thanks, dude. Bam. It's done. Awesome, Thank you, man. Your podcast available on iTunes. What is the name of it? Uh, How do people get the it? The Rich Roll Podcast. Perfect name. Absolutely. Can I no pitch confusion. My, Please can do. I, like, pitch my book here. Plant Power Plant Way. Plant Power Way out this week. Oh, is it out this Cookbook week? Book and Lifestyle Guide for oh, the Modern Family. Oh, excellent. I got Cookbook a couple copies for and you guys. Lifestyle Guide. Woo. Right. All, All right, Amazon. man. It's Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, awesome. Beautiful. Thanks for having me, dude. Anytime, man. We're Appreciate local. It. So uh, let's do this more often, yeah. not once every two years or something. When was the last time we did I'm it? I'm down, man. I'd love to have you on my show, too, if you're I would love it, to. So. And I'm, I'm excited that you have a show, too. You're yeah, a really cool. interesting and fun guy. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Rich Roll, ladies and gentlemen. You can find him on Twitter, Rich Roll, on Twitter, richroll.com. Mm-hmm. Richroll.com and uh, and check out his podcast. Check out his book, The Plant Power Way. Available right now, you fucks. Absolutely. Go get it. Peace. Thank you, man. Yay.